Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Buddies Without Borders, a show where we talk about art and culture from our respective national perspectives. My name is Christopher Royce. I am a writer, podcaster, and web designer in the San Francisco Bay Area of the U.S. of A. My name is Stevie Jackson. I am an actor, writer, and producer, and I guess podcaster in <laughs> Vancouver, B.C., Canada. And I'm so proud that we finally have a tagline. Yep. <laughs> well We've... done. I wrote a thing down. <laughs> Good job. Well done. We've been we've been trying to do that for years. <laughs> yep. Who knows if that will persist in future episodes. <laughs> uh, well, this is a very exciting episode. Uh, we're going to start our Gerard Butler series. Woohoo! No, that was a temporary prank. We're kidding. I wanted to see the fear that. in your eyes. <laughs> Stevie's favorite actor who she's never seen a minute of screen time of. Still shocked by that. Still shocked to discover that I totally knew who this person was and have not seen a single movie he's ever made. I I still would like to uh, twist your arm into a spinoff podcast where we just watch all these movies. Oh, my God. We'll see. I mean, I guess there are probably multiple actors where that's true. It had just never been pointed out to me. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know how many Timothy Chalamet movies I've seen. I could probably think of three or four off the top. but. I... There are people who just get into the cultural conversation and yeah. like, oh, I, I don't actually know the person's work. I just know their page six work. Like I've seen Little Women. He's in that, the newer uh -huh. one. Is he in Did Lady watch... Bird as well? I don't remember. I haven't seen that. He might be. So that's two. If I'm right, that's two. <laughs> Did you see the new Dune? Nope. Uh, don't Look Up? You watched that? Yes. Okay. He's so at least three. one of the kids in that. Yeah. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm doing better already on Chalamet than I am on Butler. <laughs> we would love to have either or both of them as guests, just for the record. My apologies, Gerard. <laughs> I am a huge Jerry Butler fan, so let's bring it on. Uh, no, we before we actually get to our topic, which is in the title of the episode, so why make it mysterious? Mm. Uh, however, I have to solicit from you a very yes. Canadian thing that happened to you lately. Oh. Uh, I don't know if it exactly happened to me, but for sure the most Canadian thing in my life recently has been Remembrance Day. Okay. Uh, obviously, many, many, many countries acknowledge the 11th of November. That mm -hmm. in and of itself is not uniquely Canadian, although I believe the term Remembrance Day is uniquely Canadian. Yeah. And this year on the news, I saw uh, a story about how people were not buying as many poppies as normal. Okay. Um, so for, oh, for people who don't know, Canadians, uh, and they do this in Britain as well, Canadians wear a poppy um, on our collars or it's meant to go on your left side over your heart. So All right. uh, depending on your clothing choice, <laughs> <laughs> it often ends up on the collar. Um, it's, as with many things, men's clothes are more suited to pinning things in that particular <laughs> area. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Yes, so there's, uh, all Canadians will be familiar with the little red poppy. It's sort of plastic on the back and sort of velvety on the front, and it attaches with a straight pin, so notoriously mm. they fall Dangerous. off. Yes, you <laughs> will stick yourself with it, more than once probably, um, and it will fall off probably. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the poppies have been a tradition for a very long time. Um, I remember being a kid in school, and we would always be given one on Remembrance Day, but also 
you tend to either buy them in stores. There will be a box at the cash register where you can put in money and take a poppy. Okay. Or um, my preferred way to get them was always that veterans would stand outside in uniform selling them. So you give a donation and you get a yeah. poppy and the veteran pins it on for you. Now, those were mostly World War II veterans. And so they are either too old to be standing outside in November <laughs> or they have passed on so that poppies were apparently harder to get this year and that made the news that fewer stores oh, seem to have boxes of them like mm -hmm. fewer stores had thought to request them i guess and also there was a shortage of volunteers standing outside um, yeah. selling them um and also, I think maybe some of us have wised up to the fact that you can put an earring backing on it so it doesn't fall off. Because <laughs> one of one of the ways in which you can sell poppies is to have them attach in a way that they will almost certainly blow off in the wind <laughs> or fall off. And it is um, uh. it is embarrassing as a Canadian to not be wearing a poppy on November 11th. Wow, I didn't you, realize this was such a thing. It's a big deal. Um, so you can you can be not wearing one right up to the 10th of November, and the closer you get to the 10th of November, the more of a side eye you will get. So from Halloween on, you should probably be wearing one. And as wow. you get closer to November, people with poppies will side eye you if you're not wearing one. Um, and on the 11th, how dare you leave your house without one? Um, but also I've always wondered if like, is it on purpose that they get lost so easily because then you have to keep buying them. <laughs> You're calling out big poppy, the poppy industrial complex. Well, no, because it is actually the Legion that sells them and they, the proceeds do go to support veterans. So I am not sure. discouraging people from buying poppies. Um, I think it is a, a nice gesture that we can do, but all of that put me in mind of something very Canadian that did happen two years ago, which was, um, so it's interesting that you say that you didn't know about the poppies. I, yeah. Um, no. Because a thing that we probably don't think about too much in Canada is that Americans don't know about this. So two years ago, Whole Foods uh, banned its workers from wearing poppies. They, are, they were not to adorn their uniforms with anything. Uncool. But this, exactly, this extended uh, in 2020, they put in mm -hmm. a rule saying that they were not allowed to attach these poppies to their uniforms. Of all the and, years to be a dick to your retail employees. Well, I guess all of us were home and watching the news because yeah. the entire country was immediately up in arms about this. Yeah. All it took was for one Whole Foods worker to go on the internet and say, Whole Foods will not let me wear my poppy. I am mm -hmm. livid. I don't know if that's exactly what they said, but basically like, this is not cool, right? Like we are, yeah. this is a national symbol that we, this is a thing we do. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically the entire country had to explain it. To, to, to Whole Foods? To Whole Foods. And, to I think Jeff it, Bezos? It lasted about a day because yeah. um, the what ended up happening was uh, our Minister of Veterans Affairs who I don't know if he's still, I, I, I neglected to look up whether he is still the Minister of Veterans Affairs, but <laughs> two years ago, uh, the gentleman's name was Lawrence McCauley. <laughs> I, I have not looked up whether we've had a portfolio shuffle, but two years ago, Lawrence McCauley, who at the time anyway, was our Minister of Veterans Affairs, uh, had to call up Whole Foods and explain <laughs> on behalf of the nation why this was not okay and why people need to be able to wear their poppies. And then he put out... Uh, a statement on the rapidly dying platform Twitter. <laughs> so he says, 
Just spoke to the chief operating officer of Whole Foods. Employees will now be able to wear their poppies at work. But we had to get Veterans Affairs involved. Wow. And I had not... um, I had never thought about the fact that that was such a distinctly Canadian thing, the poppy. Uh, I know they also do it in Britain. We clearly got it from them. (laughs) Um, I learned it from watching you. But outside of the UK and Canada, I don't know. I mean, if we have any Australian listeners, please let me know. Do you do it as well? Um, Because at at the time, so Whole Foods was saying that uh, unless something was required by law, they were not allowed to attach anything to the uniform. I don't know what would be required by law to test your uniform but that's why they wouldn't let Uh, them put the poppies on and so basically the canada had to um like even doug ford the worst premier oh wow called that decision and i quote disgusting and disgraceful like even he threw a conscience for a minute (laughs) um and like the ndp leader got in on it like every like all the major politicians got in on it but basically the nation rallied the Minister of Veterans Affairs called up the CEO of Whole Foods to complain, and within a day it was all solved. But it was a nice a nice coming together of our country to just be like, hey, this is a cultural symbol of ours. Yeah. And you are now, like, we understand that the parent company is American, but the Canadian workers need to be allowed to wear a cultural symbol of their country in their country, at least on this one day. Yeah, and, for a uh, very limited time. Like, we won that fight. Like, basically, yeah. you wear it for 11 days or until you uh, until it falls off or until you remember to take it off of your coat if it happens not to fall off. Because, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, oh, I should okay. say, like, my whole life I've been able to tell if I last wore a jacket in mid-November because I will pull it out of the closet in April and there's a poppy on it. <laughs> there you go. I was just going to say that MP Macaulay is still the incumbent uh, VA minister. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I just, I didn't think to look up if he had changed. Yep. <laughs> I look up, looked up who it was at the time because I remembered that like it went to the government, like the government had to deal with it. Yeah. But it was all over social media and all over everything. It made the news. It was a big deal because really the whole country was just like, that's not okay. You have to let us work. Like we were genuinely upset by it as a nation. Yeah. And it was, it was something. I feel like the only thing that would probably cause similar uproar here would be somebody wearing an American flag pin on the 4th of July or something. Like I can't think of any other particular like yeah. item that you would have on your clothes that would, you know, besmirch your corporate uniform. I think it's akin that people would to fight that. over. Yeah, because because I think it's even more like if it were Canada Day and they were told they weren't allowed to wear the Canadian flag pins, I think people would be annoyed. But I don't think they would call the government about it. Yeah, the like, I really don't is I think they'd be like whatever, I'll put one on after work. Um, but this was very much like, no, you don't understand. We wear these all day, every day from the time we get one in early November until the 12th. And on the 12th, it's acceptable to take it off. It's also fine to leave it on for a while. Like we all know, but it's, um, it's a sign of respect to our veterans. And as seriously as America takes its veterans, uh, so too do we. And so it is, it is like spitting in their faces to not wear a poppy on Remembrance Day. So to have a corporation, especially out of another country, tell us that we can't uh, caused a real problem. And uh, I'm weirdly proud of us for standing up about it. (laughs) 
Good job, us. Good job, Canada. I've never worked for Whole Foods. Um, but I'm sure, like, at my tweets delete, like, every six months, so we wouldn't be able to find it. But, like, I'm sure I said <laughs> something about it at the time. <laughs> like, I'm sure I was up in arms. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So I am now compelled to ask you, what is the most American thing that happened to you or that you witnessed this this since we last recorded? Let's well, uh, as we're recording this, uh, this past week was our midterm elections. Mm. And uh, I'm very excited to report to people in the future who know more about this. <laughs> that things did not go terrible. Yes. What a relief. Uh, as we're sitting here uh, last night, the Democrats officially were announced to have maintained control of the Senate. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's exciting. We have the Georgia runoff, which will not have happened by the time this goes live. Right. Uh, but it's looking like we're at 50 to 49 plus Georgia, which uh, if we win the Warnock seat or maintain it, I guess I should say, because mm -hmm. he's the incumbent, um, that would just be such an amazing opportunity to like actually do some legislating. Yes, because <sighs> so it's 50 to 49, but... Kamala Harris would be the 51st vote, correct? As she is currently. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's the tiebreaker. Yes. Um, what's going on with Alaska? What, what, what about it? Why hasn't it been called yet? Yes. They have I mean, like I'm like assuming a, they've counted mm -hmm. it as Republican because it's Alaska. Yeah. What it but is it's is, technically not called. Yeah, and I think that the main reason for that is, okay, as we're sitting here, um, the vote is 80.1% in. I'm mm -hmm. looking at the Washington Post website for anybody who cares about bona fides. Mm -hmm. There are two GOP candidates. Um, they are each in the low 40s with their count, 44.2 to 42.8. So okay. theoretically, either of them could still take it based I on see. the remaining ballots. But so there's when no you look Democrat at the map, running, is there? The Democrat would have at most something like 7 or 8%. I don't Only the okay. top two are listed on the little um, punch out that I'm looking at. But yes, essentially the party is determined, but the winner is not determined. Okay. So the race has not been called per se. But Thank the you. balance that's of power will not be out. changed. <laughs> yes. Also, I think Alaska is one of the states that's experimenting with ranked choice voting. Okay. And so there are like there's like a multi-phasic counting process that has to go through. There's like Maine and a couple other places where they're playing with this. And ranked choice is great. I think we should have it for every office because you mm -hmm. get consensus candidates that way. Yep. Um but yeah, as far as the Senate goes, it will not change the balance of power okay. um, one one bit. That's what I thought. Yeah, I was confused because it was like, mm -hmm. there are not 51 states. So they clearly <laughs> called Alaska for the Republicans, and yet they're saying the race has not been called. I yeah. don't see a Democrat listed. Like, what is happening? So They have an open system, kind of like the California system, where it's possible to have... Um, like sometimes, you know, members of the same party are the multiple are the top vote getters. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I can't I, explain it better than that because I don't have definitions of things I, in front of me. As I'm sure you can tell, I had not closely looked into it. I just yeah. decided to ask you on the fly. I thought, I bet you know what's going on there. And I have yep. not yet Googled it. So I was sort of avoiding diving real deep, uh, getting emotionally invested because mm -hmm. the red wave narrative was so um, yeah. pervasive. That's what mm -hmm. I was looking for. But having... Since election night is sort of unavoidable and I'm refreshing things. And mm -hmm. the thing that we're now very concerned about is the House. Yes. Um, right now, there are 203 races called for Democrats and 211 for Republicans. Mm -hmm. For, I'm going to say, mostly the Americans who don't know. 218 is the majority. So that's the magic number we're hoping to get to. Um, we should take a poll of our listeners. Like, <laughs> who knows how what? How many of you know that it's 218? Because I knew that. Yep. But I know you a, knew that. That's is that a standard joke. thing that Canadians know? 
I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't say. I couldn't um, say either. But yeah. NBC News, as of last night, was estimating um, 216 to 219 that the Republicans would hold by one vote. Mm. Um, and, or one vote over the right. midpoint. Yeah. I know that's not a one vote margin. Thank you, arithmetic. Um, yes, but by one seat. Don't at me. <laughs> um, and I, I think that would be fascinating because the... Even though it's only a two-year term, the percentage of people in the House who actually serve their full two years isn't a hundred, <laughs> and so it's Wild. it. Well, <laughs> people get other job offers; they get appointed to roles in the executive branch. Sure, you know, yes. they have yeah. to tend to their families or their scandals, or people do die, <laughs> like <Or their> scandals. <laughs> <laughs> like the 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 odds that a 219 vote majority would hold through a full mm. two years is actually kind of low and yeah. so from like i realize obviously real people's real lives are at stake and it's not funny but it is also funny the idea that kevin mccarthy could get the gavel and just not have a coalition that he could govern with within yeah. his own party be because when your margin is that narrow like it just it's going to be a wild time mm-hmm yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how that goes. Because yeah, the the whole house goes up for re-election every 2 years, yeah? Because the Senate it's one third of the Senate every 2 years. Yes, it's a, Listen, a weird system that way. I would like to give a public thank you to Mr. David Cutler, my OAC history teacher who taught me <laughs> the course Canada in a North American Perspective. Yeah. You sir, wherever you are, are the reason that I know all of this. <laughs> he is the reason that I can label a map of America. Like, you give me a blank map of America and I can fill in the states. He is the reason that I know how the political system works down yeah. there. Uh, it is one of the three most useful things I learned in school. The other two <laughs> being typing and how to use chopsticks. <laughs> like, on a on a life skill level, this is you right that in up school. there. Yes. When I was in grade four or fourth grade for our Americans, uh, it, it was, here's how old I am, it was 1988, and Canada had the Olympics, specifically in Calgary, oh, and right, yeah. every classroom in the school was assigned a country to learn about, and we got China. <laughs> and so we learned how to use chopsticks, we made a paper mache dragon, um, we did, probably did some things that, in retrospect, turned out to be racist, I don't remember a whole lot about let's, it, but I do play remember. Odds. It was the 80s. <laughs> I do remember uh, specifically that they brought in Chinese food for us to try, which I now, as an adult, understand was not true Chinese food, but the, you know, <laughs> North Americanized version yeah. of battered chicken balls and such. Um, but yeah, we, we tried Chinese food. We were taught how to use chopsticks. And uh, that has turned out to be incredibly useful to me in my life because it turns out I really love um, Japanese food and Chinese food. <laughs> Absolutely. Big, Can I... Big fan. <laughs> Can I also say chopsticks are incredibly useful if you are working at your computer, mm -hmm. because Keep if you want to have some snacks, you mm -hmm. know, popcorns, you know, chips, all that kind of stuff. Indeed. I I use chopsticks pretty frequently because I'm always a typing. Yep. And yes, it keeps your pants clean. They're, mm -hmm. they're a brilliant invention. And then in grade nine, uh, I was required to take one business credit <laughs> in high school. And I chose what was then called keyboarding, which was still taught on typewriters. They were electric typewriters, but they were typewriters. Um, and uh, that's how I learned to touch type. And like as an adult, those are the three things I've used on a near daily basis in my life, <laughs> understanding the American political system. Because um, I already basically knew the Canadian one by that point. 
Uh, but understanding sure, yeah. the American political system, uh, being able to use chopsticks for my sushi, and <laughs> Classic. Uh, typing, which I do all day, every day. Anyway, uh, thank you, Mr. Cutler. I hope you're alive and well somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess to wrap up, uh, we're, we're still very much in limbo here with uh, whether or not things are going to happen. But there's there's an argument to be made. And again real people, real lives. And I hate when politics gets treated sort of like as a sport. We're going to talk about real sports in a minute, but politics is not a sport. Um, But from a big picture, long view, I think it's possible that the 2024 election will actually be better served by having a very visible enemy and Mm -hmm. a bunch of incompetent Republicans trying and failing to do literally anything in the house (laughs) for 18 months will actually, I think help the Democrats retain um, the the executive branch and also the Senate and House seats that they do have because Democrats in power is a, a media narrative that doesn't help keep the Democrats in power for a lot of reasons that we're not going to dig too far into. Yeah, it, it does uh, make me feel somewhat more optimistic about 2024. Yeah. Um, I think it is not necessarily going to be the hellscape that I feared it was. <laughs> uh, I am now... Uh, very happy to be far less sure that they will run Trump again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, the midterms were oddly comforting. <laughs> it was strange to just like things seem to be going well. I don't know how to process this. <laughs> it's not a disaster. Yeah. Like I in expected... a lot of places, it was really pretty good. Yeah. I, I uh, expected I thought the red wave was probably overstated, but I did expect yeah. them to take back Congress. Well, and historically, and the fact that they haven't. Is... That happens most times. Exactly. Yes, that yeah. is the typical tradition. Is yeah, um, yeah. Halfway through the president's first term, the mm-hmm. other party takes control of Congress and proceeds to obstruct them for the next two years. Yeah, <laughs> that is usually what happens. Uh, so this this is very positive, and uh, I'm feeling slightly more optimistic about 2024, and that's a nice nice feeling. Yeah, and I mean, there's a ton of other stuff to break down, you know, ballot measures and gubernatorial races and state houses. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of places where things went very terrible and things mm-hmm. went very well, and it's as always a very complex story. But the the yes. top the above the fold results i think yes. were pretty good and yeah. this is supposed to be a five minute segment so that's all we we're going into <laughs> yes uh i would just like to add i remain outraged that georgia refuses to elect stacy abrams yeah um, yeah i, I am very disappointed don't know about what's that good as well down there um, <laughs> run for president stacy run for president all right. <laughs> I'm sure she's got a, a big future ahead of her. And I will say, if anybody wants more Stacey Abrams, I would recommend um, the Star Trek podcast that Tony Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins host. She was a guest on that and was just really a fun person to hear talk cool. about sci-fi and non, non-politics stuff for a minute. Yeah, she's also a novelist. Like, yeah. She's talk a about a multi-talented <laughs> lady. Yeah, she's very cool. As as people who both have day jobs and side creative projects, it's interesting yeah. to know that she's one of us. Question. This mark. is now a Stacey Abrams appreciation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily have a problem with that. We will just be talking about how cool that lady is. <laughs> yeah. All right. On to sports. On to sports. <laughs> Uh, 
so Chris, do you want to officially tell the listeners, in case they haven't read the description, what today's main topic is? <laughs> yeah, in case you avoided both the title and the description text, which technically we haven't written yet, but we'll have. Don't give our secrets. <laughs> Hard to describe a show that hasn't been recorded yet. Uh, but we're talking about the movie and the series entitled A League of Their Own. Woohoo! <laughs> the story, or a story, a set of stories. Should have mm-hmm. written this better. My, my, <laughs> my notes are inaccurate. Um, they each tell a version of mm-hmm. the story of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Which yes. technically had a bunch of different names, but we're only going to refer to it as the AGPBL because the seven names or whatever that it had, it's exhausting to go oh, through it all. So I've really only ever heard it called the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. That's officially what it's referred to. That's how it was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. But while it was extant, it had a new name like almost every year. Oh, okay. But it, the original name was the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, no? No. It oh, was a softball right. league, and oh, then well, it the changed. the movie lied to us. <laughs> the, um, the movies simplified things a little bit, for sure. Well, I know they recruited from softball, but, but they played hardball from the beginning. Well, I'm going to dive into this here. Okay. Uh, I've got some history, and we've got some fun facts. And uh, this is a series uh, and film that... I know CV has a lot to say about, so we're going to do a big chunk up front of just a couple minutes of me rattling off from my notes, and then we're going to dive in and have a a freewheeling conversation from there. But I know that if I don't get in my fun history facts at the top, they probably won't get in. We might never get it in. I will say it's it's kind of wild that you are the one uh, choosing and and leading this topic because... Uh Uh, you only very recently saw the movie for the first time, correct? No, I saw it in when I was a kid. Oh, you it did? It was on okay. TV. But okay. Yes. Okay. Because uh, I know you uh, messaged me while you were watching it earlier this week, <laughs> and I didn't know if you'd really seen it before. Uh, whereas I saw this movie in the theater repeatedly yeah. in the summer of 1992. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I watch it all the time. All right. So, fun facts, go. Uh, dive, dive into all the fun stuff to talk about here. So, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, I watched this on TV at some point in the distant past um, and have watched it a couple of times in my 30s as it has come up sort of generally. Um, one of our favorite podcasts, uh, We Got This, did an episode about sports movies, and I rewatched it when, spoiler alert, that one best sports movie. It is the best sports movie. No <laughs> arguments for me. Um, the one asterisk that I will put, and then I promise I won't talk about this anymore, is I am not a crazy fan of the sport of baseball. I just don't like it that much. It's sort of slow and boring to watch and to play. And that's all I have to say. Just while we're stipulating that, I will stipulate that baseball is one of only two sports that I actually enjoy watching. <laughs> the other one being roller derby. There you go. Yes. Um, so this is not one of my favorite like sports genre movies, um, but it is obviously hard not to acknowledge that it is among the very best of sports movies. Uh, so let's dive into history here. The AAGPBL, and I wish there were less letters because, boy, is that fun to say. It was Excellent. founded <laughs> It was founded by, among others, Philip K. Wrigley of the Chewing Gum Wrigleys, as well as um, a bunch of other people, including Branch Rickey, who was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 40s and hired Jackie Robinson. Yes. So, so 
um, a, a historical group of guys here. The founders of the league were worried that baseball would have to pause because of World War II, because so many people were drafted and there were restrictions on travel because of gasoline rationing. So they wouldn't be able to like go to other cities to play each other's teams. Correct. And people don't like to watch intramural games at the professional level. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to watch one half of the New York Yankees play the other half of the New York Yankees? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, although I think our, our friend Amanda would probably enjoy watching that. <laughs> She's a diehard Yankees fan. Scrimmage. So that's right. You want to play 80 bucks ahead for a scrimmage play. Um, the league existed from 1943 to 1954. Over 600 women played in the league. There were ultimately 10 total teams. Some of them moved around to different cities. So the complete list, and I just think the names are fun, so we're going to read them all. The yeah. Kenosha Comets, yep. the Racine Bells, mm -hmm. the Rockford Peaches, who yep. were a record four-time league champs during yep. the run and of this league. the team that the film and TV show both focus on, the one that we'll talk the most about. Absolutely. Uh, and the South Bend Blue Sox, uh, those mm -hmm. were the original four. And then they also added the Milwaukee Chicks, the Minneapolis Millerettes, yep. the Fort Wayne Daisies, mm -hmm. Grand Rapid Chicks, mm -hmm. Muskegon Lassies. Muskegon, isn't it? Is it? I honestly don't Pretty know. Pretty sure it's Muskegon. Um, from the coast. <laughs> <laughs> The Peoria Red Wings, the Chicago Colleens, which let's asterisk that for another time. Mm -hmm. The Springfield Sallies, the mm -hmm. Kalamazoo Lassies, the Battle Creek Bells, the Muskegon Bells. Uh, all of the teams were based in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, and Indiana. Can we enjoy for a moment the fact that there were 10 teams and yet they had to repeat chicks and bells more than once. Well, those are the same teams, but they—that's when they oh, moved. Racine moved. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because I've always thought that was odd mm -hmm. that they had the same name in more than one city. So they're not—it's not really ten separate teams. It's well, they had ten teams total, mm -hmm. but so they were adding teams from the original four. But anytime right. I'm—I listed a name. So like the Milwaukee Chicks and the right? Grand Rapid Chicks. That's the same team. They just moved from Milwaukee to Grand Rapids. Okay. Did you read more than 10 names? Because that felt yes, like Yes, it's 10. like 13 okay. or okay. something. Yeah. There we go. All right. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think to that, <laughs> I've written in my notes, the boys' teams are named after animals with teeth and claws, and the mm. girls' teams are named after pretty birdies. And sometimes actual women. <laughs> Which is Colleen, bizarre. Sally. Yeah. Now, Colleen uh... is an Irish name for girl. In fact, uh -huh. there are very few actual Irish people named Colleen because it means girl in Gaelic. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I know a Colleen who, when she went to Ireland, was routinely laughed at because the Irish <laughs> people thought it was hilarious that her parents had basically just named her girl. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so another, uh, our first quick fun fact, there was another professional women's baseball league formed around the same time, the National Girls Baseball League, composed of teams in the Chicago area. And here's where we get fun with the names again. The Bloomer Girls, the God. Bluebirds, the Chicks, okay. the Candy Kids, Candy with a K. Jesus Christ. The Sparks, the Queens, the Music Maids, the Cardinals, the Rockolas, the Bells, and the jewels. Okay. There were athletes that actually played in both leagues during the uh, time. They started, I believe, in 44 and also ended in 54. Okay. So in the Midwest, there were quite a lot of women playing pro ball in this period. Mm -hmm. um, 
The Okay, so here's the part of my notes that we mentioned a minute ago. The AAGPBL was originally more of a hybrid between softball and baseball. They pitched underhand, they used a softball, and the bases were closer together. But over time, the rules and the equipment changed to be more like baseball. Mm. So the size of the ball uh, reduced to be more of a baseball size, although baseball itself, the size of the ball hasn't always been standard in the full, whatever, 150 years of that sports history. But a softball, I think, has consistently been larger. Absolutely. And so they're pitching from a little bit closer. They're running bases that are a little bit closer. Um, But gradually over the... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say my understanding of why that was was because uh, women really weren't allowed to play baseball before this. Women played softball. And so when they were recruiting, they were recruiting from softball teams. Absolutely correct. So to expect a softball player to immediately be able to pitch to a baseball Mm -hmm. standard, that took some time to uh, up their skill level. Yeah, absolutely. With no disrespect to the women, I'm sorry that you were all not allowed to play the quote-unquote real game. Not that softball isn't a real game. It is. It's a very similar game. (laughs) Real in the context uh, of the vernacular of the time. But I would also say if you took, like, think of the best Major League Baseball pitcher. Can mm -hmm. they pitch windmill underhand on their first day at a pro level? Probably not. not. New skill set is a new skill set. Yes, and it takes time to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Salaries for the league started at around forty-five to eighty-five dollars, which is the equivalent of, of seven hundred to thirteen hundred dollars per week today, yep. which is pretty yep. good. But it was about a six-month season, so mm-hmm. I think you're making, you know, not quite a full salary for the year on that, but pretty substantial when you consider the time and that it, pro sports wasn't that lucrative then. Yes, and theoretically, you have another job in the off-season. Exactly. So you're working, uh, especially during the war, if you're a woman, you're working in a factory Mm -hmm. um, or something like that and pulling down a decent salary in your other job the other six months of the year. Or you're off being someone's secretary or or whatever. But women were in the workforce at this point. Absolutely. So we're probably working another job the other six months of the year. Um, as depicted in both of our uh, shows, the, the, most of the movie and the show, um, the athletes had to attend attend charm school classes sure and had did. many sexist limitations placed on their behavior. One player was fired for cutting her hair short. Mm-hmm. The players were required to embody what Wrigley designated as, quote, the highest ideals of womanhood, unquote. Yeah, that's why the uniform is so ridiculous in terms of playing sports. I mean, I love it because it's iconic. I Mm -hmm. love the uniform. I wore it for Halloween this year. Um, (laughs) And I aspire to make myself a better quality one sometime. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be playing baseball in that. And yet they had to. Um, The very first organized women's baseball teams in the States were formed at Vassar College in 1866. Go Vassar. So by the time of the 40s, there had been women in baseball for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, The popularity of the league peaked in 1984. That's not right. Why did I write that? 1948 is what that typo should have read. There were over (laughs) 900,000 people attended a game in that year. The end of the league was caused by financial problems, poor promotion, and the fact that MLB games began to be televised. So in order to see baseball, you didn't have to leave your home. Yes, which uh, I read to really mean the end of the league was caused by sexism because they only televised the men. <laughs> they only, <laughs> hmm, like, interesting. All, all of these supposed factors that led to the end of the league can also be traced right back to sexism. Oh, yes. That's so, a major theme of what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes, I think I think the league was ended by sexism, honestly. Um, 
Yeah, but it, it yeah. was interesting because I tend to, um, I think when a lot of people think of this, that it was a mid-war stopgap sort of concept and to learn that it actually lasted whatever eight nine seasons after people came home is mm. interesting yes. you know it didn't it didn't die out in 46 like, no no they actually yeah, yeah they went on for some time yes. um so but, and some, tv did play a big role but uh-huh. what's telling about that is that clearly no one thought it was worth putting the girls games on tv yeah it's i would watch like a TV lot more is... sports if they would let me watch the women play yeah <laughs> TV isn't impartial, I think, is the point. Yes. To this day, women's sports are not televised at the same rate. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I I call sexism on this. (laughs) So we're going to do more factual rundowns here. I've got the movie was directed by Penny Marshall from a screenplay by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, which is just a fun name. name. Uh, Story by Kelly Candaly and Kim Wilson. Mm -hmm. Starring Gina Davis, Lori Petty. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks. That is the correct order to introduce the cast in, by the way. A lot of people will tell you it's uh, Gina Davis and Tom Hanks. Incorrect. Lori Petty is the second lead of that movie. Continue. Uh, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, who has a small recurring role in the series. John Lovitz, David Strathairn, Gary Marshall, and Bill Pullman. Uh, for those who are unaware and haven't watched it, the movie is a fictionalized account of the first season of the Rockford mm-hmm. Peaches. Uh, Davis and Petty play sisters who have a close but troubled relationship and struggle, struggle with their roles on the team. Uh, there was a spinoff, which I'm not going to say anything more about, but it ran for almost six episodes in 1993, and it was created by the same director-writer team. Um, I I don't know if spinoff is the right term, because it was... It's it described it as that, yeah, it's a yeah, re-adaptation. It, it should be an adaptation because a spinoff would be from another show. So what what happened was there yeah. was a television adaptation of the movie yeah. called A League of Their Own. Uh, I believe they made 13 episodes and aired about four. They made six um, and aired five. Okay. Two of those mm-hmm. are currently available on YouTube if you'd like <laughs> to see them. It is a weird time capsule. Um it was not nearly as successful no. as the current show in terms of, and I don't just mean in terms of viewership. I mean, it was, with all due respect, because I know Penny Marshall was involved, yep. uh, it was not a good adaptation of the movie. She directed the first episode, if I recall correctly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it um, was a sitcom, and um, Wikipedia has some of the uh, one-sentence episode summaries, and it sounds bad. Um, like I said, you can watch the first couple of episodes. They're kind of bad. Yeah. Again, no, no disrespect to anyone who like took that job and was involved and, and did the show, but it just wasn't, um, I think a sitcom was the wrong format. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just good. <laughs> but the movie was nominally a comedy in genre. And so I think it given yeah. TV in the nineties, kind of in, inevitable. In the Shakespearean definition of comedy and tragedy, <laughs> exactly. a leak of their own is absolutely a comedy, Exactly. but it is. It is not, it has some very funny moments, but I, it is, <laughs> I kind of hate this word, but it's a dramedy yeah. um, or a comedic drama, maybe like it's got a lot of fun stuff. It also has some very uh, dramatic moments. I, yeah, I don't think a sitcom was the way to go. Uh, I understand why they did it. It was the early 90s. Yeah. Multicam was doing very well. If I can absolutely see why they chose to do that. Uh, I think it was a mistake and we should pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> well, let's let's <laughs> pretend even harder and shift our focus to the series that came out just this year 
created yes. by Abby Jacobson and Will Graham, who are also mm-hmm. credited writers on some of the episodes. The main cast includes Jacobson, Shantae Adams, Darcy mm-hmm. Carden, who I mm-hmm. always want to say Darcy because of her apostrophe. And I know that's wrong, but I still want to just for fun. Yeah. She added that apostrophe herself, by the way. Her parents didn't put it there. I know. I enjoy it's that. A fun story. <laughs> Why would you make your name spelling weirder on purpose? It's distinctive. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have known Darcy's uh, both with and without the apostrophe. Personally, I prefer it without, but that's me. Um, also starring Bemisola Ikumelu, Roberta Colindres, Kelly McCormick, Priscilla Delgado, Molly Ephraim, Melanie Field, and Kate Berlant. And mm-hmm. a really, truly extraordinary supporting cast beyond that. There was no performance in this that I didn't absolutely love. Mm. Um, this series yeah. portrays, just like the movie, the first season of the Rockford Peaches, but I think in far more depth. And not just because it's seven hours long compared to a two-hour movie, but yeah. they take a more intimate look at the inner life of all of the characters not just Mm -hmm. your protagonists um, but a lot of the supporting characters as well Um, and again if you haven't watched this it's basically same general framework where in addition to navigating their team dynamics the peaches battle sexism and societal constraints Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess spoiler alert up top Mm -hmm. for the movie and the show uh, the Peaches lose the championship, but win a moral victory. And I thought that uh, it was great that they, obviously that's historically accurate, but the the tenor and tone of how they tell the arc of the series and the movie are, um, I think, sort of similar. Uh, I, I have to disagree that it's historically accurate only because the Rockford Peaches didn't actually play in the first championship. In the well, first but year. they didn't win, I guess was my They didn't point. win, that's but true. You are, but you are win, correct, they, they also didn't play, didn't play either. <laughs> I believe it was Racine and South Bend in real life. I don't have that in my notes, but I believe you are correct. Um, um, which that is... Is, is fun because mm-hmm. in the movie, it is um, Rockford versus Racine. Yeah. And in the show, it is Rockford versus South Bend. <laughs> yeah. But in life, it was Racine versus South Bend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are a lot of parallels. I don't know how much you're going to want to get into any of the particulars. This is the end of my prepared notes. Okay. Um, but there are, I, I was expecting a lot more, um, I mean, I know Abby's work from Broad City, and I know that she wouldn't just do like a beat-for-beat beat exploded mm-hmm. adaptation of a two-hour movie into an eight-hour series. But there were some things that I was surprised to see parallels and some things that went in completely different directions. And I, I thought everything was ex- executed excellently. I shouldn't have tried to pair those words. <laughs> um, I think they did a great job. Absolutely. I do. Um, I And I wasn't particularly worried. Like, I didn't have reservations. I know that mm-hmm. when it was announced, uh, there seemed to be some people who had reservations about this. I think a couple of things are going on there. There's a weird sense of ownership that fans seem to have over things sometimes. Big time. That results in the you're ruining my childhood situation. Whereas <laughs> at no time were Abby and Will threatening to delete the movie from our collective consciousness like a league of their own 1992 version was never going anywhere um the other reason i wasn't worried was uh first of all i know abby does great work yeah Uh, i've seen broad city also it was very clear up front that abby loves a league of their own she is a big fan of the movie she grew up with it like she's a few years younger than i am i think she's 
uh, four or six years younger than I am. I'd have to look up her birthday. A couple years younger than me, I think. Um, she well, let's just do a quick. I'm getting there. Check. Nineteen eighty four. She is six yeah. years younger than I am. Um, so she grew up with it in some ways even more than I did because I was fourteen when this movie came out. Yeah. Um, but knowing uh, the the kind of work that she's made before and knowing that she was adapting something she loved, I was pretty confident that this was going to be a situation kind of like the more recent Babysitter's Club adaptation of the series yeah, where like yeah. it was the earlier adaptations were clearly done by like, hey, ma- let's make some money off this kid's property. And the more recent <laughs> adaptation was done by someone who grew up loving the books and wanted to reimagine them and in a more modern way. And this feels to me very much of that same family of yeah. And according to Wikipedia, Avian will talk to both Gina Davis and Penny Marshall about their plans um, as of like as early as four years ago. Like they were working on this for quite a while. Well, yeah, Penny died in 2017. So Mm -hmm. it was before that. Um, So, yes, they they had uh, the blessing of some important people to do Mm -hmm. it. And and also um, we're very clear that this was not a remake or a reboot or a revival it was a reimagining yeah and i i think that's one way in which they got it right and i think it's one way in which the uh the first attempt at a series did not succeed yeah was that they tried to take all of the characters from the movie but largely recast everybody partly yeah. because there were i think three cast members that carried over yeah they recast um dotty kit and uh, Jimmy, so right there, your three leads, yeah, you know, are completely different people. Also, you're obviously never going to get Madonna again. Um, <laughs> not on TV in the nineties. Not in TV. Not then. Um, yeah. So I mean, John Lovitz reprised his role, but <laughs> very course. few. And Megan Cavanaugh reprised her role, mm-hmm. um, and she is one of my favorite parts of the movie. I really do enjoy. Megan Cavanaugh plays Marla Hooch. People right. Might remember. Yeah. Love her. Um, but it just, I think in some ways, that kind of, no matter how good the actors are, it was Christina Elise and Carrie Lowell that they cast as Kit and Dottie, respectively. And, mm-hmm. and those are, you know, perfectly good actresses. They really are. Very yeah. good. But they're not Gina Davis and Lori Petty. And I don't mean that in terms of skill. I mean that simply <laughs> that they are not Gina Davis and Lori Petty. And so that to be playing the same character so soon... Yeah. There's just a real disconnect there. And I, I think it was a mistake to try to essentially take the movie, make it more slapstick, and put it on television. I think yeah. what Abby and Will have done is a much better way to go, where they took everything we love about the movie in terms of feeling, like yeah. how the the vibe of the movie, if you will, <laughs> the highlights of the movie, the all the stuff about it that's important outside of who the cast was. Because, yeah. of course, I love Gina Davis. I love you, Gina Davis. <laughs> she is now too old to play this role. She knows that. <laughs> so, you know, you're not... They didn't try to recreate what there was. They tried to reimagine what there was, but keep it with the same feeling and respect for the subject matter. And I think they did yeah. a beautiful job. Yeah, I heard Abby and Darcy in interviews over the past few years as they've been working on this both say that they sort of went back to the same source material. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not necessarily looking to the movie as the source material, but to the documentaries and the books that have been yeah. made about this time in history um, yeah. directly. Because it is, you know, adapting things that really happened in real people's mm-hmm. real lives. And, 
yeah, I think it's, it works in parallel. It works in parallel with the movie. It does. And it it takes nothing away from the movie, which it wouldn't anyway. I mean, that, like I said, that always drives me crazy. Um, It wouldn't take anything away from the movie anyway. But it really doesn't. And it works as a, it's a beautiful companion piece. Yeah. Because it has the time and space to do a lot of what the movie couldn't. So, you know, when you have two hours and you have to tell the story of the formation of the League in the entire first season, there are things you have to leave out. Yeah. Like the story of any woman who wasn't white, mm-hmm. for instance. <laughs> um, and I know that the the original team behind the movie has talked about that a little bit, that even at the time they were bothered that they had to have an all-white cast. They didn't, yeah. they didn't love that that in order to cast authentically to the time period, the entire main cast had to be white. And that's why there's that iconic moment that people (laughs) who know the movie will remember um, when the ball goes out of bounds and a black woman throws it back and like almost beans Gina Davis with it. Like it is a hell of a throw. And that is the, the only moment they had to acknowledge that, right, there were other women who were not allowed to play. Yeah. And those women did play in other leagues. They played on company teams. They played in the Negro League. Mm-hmm. They did play, but they did not play in this league. Yeah. And there wasn't time to tell that story. And what the show has space for is to spend about half its time telling that story. I would say we spend about half our time with Carson and the Peaches and about half our time with Max. Yeah. And and her world. And so we finally we get more of the story and we also acknowledge that there were people on the teams in the in the league who were white passing mm-hmm. and were allowed to play because they were white passing, even yeah. if they might not have been accepted, quote unquote, as white. Um, so we have, you know, Esty and Lupe's story yeah, as well. So I, I love that there is space to tell way more kinds of stories than we got from the movie because the movie's amazing i love the movie very much it's on my top five like if you drop me on a desert island and i get five (laughs) movies that's one of the ones i need to take with me absolutely yeah i would also now like to take the show (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean i i was that's the one probably biggest thing that i was surprised by in the show was because i was there i try to watch things just as they present themselves and you know let the show sort of play out but it's mm-hmm. hard to also not try to get ahead of things a little bit because i have a bit of an analytical brain that way and mm-hmm. you and i are both writers we want to you know how is this show doing structure how are the characters yeah. interacting with each other all that kind of stuff and so i kept trying to predict how max's story was going to intersect with the peaches knowing that the league was oh. segregated and like okay well how how is she going to get folded into this group And the simple answer is that she didn't. And like they really wrote sort of a two hander for Mm -hmm. Adams and Jacobson. Like it is it's it's not two shows smushed together because they're all the same story of the same time period of, Mm -hmm. you know, these these athletes. Um, But it is it's a two hander in a way that I wasn't expecting. And it I just sort of didn't. I, I got ahead of it too much and didn't see that they were obviously showing us that from the very beginning. That's interesting. Cause yeah, I didn't, I never expected them to intersect in any way other than how they do, which mm-hmm. is that these two women encounter each other. Yeah. And become um, pals. Yeah. And, but they never play together officially, you know, they, yeah. whether you want to call it playing catch or having a catch, which <laughs> is something they debate throughout the series, depending, I suppose regionally, depending on where you grew up. 
<laughs> well, actually, yeah, I um, should have thought to write that down to ask you. Out here, it's always playing catch. Did you have catch? Okay, because yeah, have a catch, I think of as an East Coast thing. Um, it very well may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as people might refer to the Toronto area as the East Coast, it is neither east nor on the coast. <laughs> <laughs> it's east of where I live. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> attempting to paint you with that. I was just oh, okay. saying that's how it's. Just, it is. So I had what I meant to say was yeah. I had no idea what your experience was. Um, yeah, it is. I think you may be right that it's a regional yeah. East Coast thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where I grew up, which is uh, toward the east of Canada, but not certainly <laughs> not what we call Eastern Canada. Ontario is kind of in the middle. It's a yeah. little east of center um, and, and not on any coast, unless you count Lake Ontario as a coast. Um, anyway, we, w- we would say play catch. Yeah. Uh, my point was Abby and, and uh, Shante or Carson and Max, pardon me, characters uh, do encounter each other sort of, you know, out in public in the wild uh, and come <laughs> to know wild. each other and then sort of like, well, but not on the field so much. I mean, certainly oh, when, no, Max, I know yeah. uh, when Max comes to tryouts mm-hmm. uh, with Clance and is, you know, summarily sent packing before she even really gets yeah. to try. Despite her canon. <laughs> yes. Uh, Carson does have that moment of seeing her throw the ball and saying, who was that? Yeah. Um, which very much mirrors the moment I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. But then they go on to encounter each other in this, in a store, I believe, and Mm -hmm. get to know each other a bit. And, you know, they sort of meet up at night and throw the ball back and forth and talk about their lives. And yeah, it's the the restaurant and then the grocery store and then the fields. And yeah, they sort of keep running into each other. Yeah. We keep, we keep meeting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, why don't we throw a ball back and forth and chat about our lives? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I think that was that was a kind of a smart way of connecting those two stories and those yeah. two parallel worlds because they can't come together. Max cannot be folded into the Rockford Peaches. Yeah, that's um, you know that would cross a line of historical accuracy. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, because I I hate when people uh, argue against inclusive casting for historical reasons. Well, but I think this is but, this is the sort of perfect way to do it is you find a yeah. character who ordinarily wouldn't be able to be included and explore why they're not able to be included. And yes. so like the false note would be, oh, yeah, we're going to just cast a black actor to be on the peaches. Like, no, that's not the correct way to that's do. That's not how we do it. Yeah. yeah. And that's not proper representation because. Yes. Uh, it's not a real listen. person's real story. Happy to stipulate that, unfortunately, racism is alive and well. Um, The way it was operating in society at the time, because it operates in society a little differently now, but the way it was operating at the time was very much segregation, keeping people apart. And so uh, instead of sort of violating that, which would make the show ring false, uh, instead what they do is build a bridge between the two worlds. And Carson and Max meet on that bridge, as it were. Mm-hmm. And that's how we connect the two worlds. And I, I think that worked really, really well because those two women in that time would have led different lives. And yeah. Max would have been unfairly kept out of the league, as all black women were at the time. So we should honor that that was the history because to ignore that being the history ignores the unfairness of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we don't need to whitewash it. We can just acknowledge that, yeah, there was this super racist rule that kept anyone who wasn't white or at least, you know, white passing. White presenting, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, 
Latinx or Hispanic or well, whatever yeah. terminology you prefer. Uh, <laughs> but white passing was allowed. Mm-hmm. However, anything other than that was not so much allowed, and you were kept out no matter how well you could play. And, and I thought it was fair. interesting that the Peaches in the series, well, actually going back to the movie as well, um, mm-hmm. but specifically I was going to say about the series, like they are fairly diverse within white presentation because you've got mm-hmm. like – I don't remember what Lupe's um, specific ethnic heritage is supposed to be, but let's say, you know, an Hispanic American. But then you Mm -hmm. also have a Cubana American with Priscilla's character. You have, you know, a Jewish character. You have Italians. Like I want to say Mexican for Lupe, but I'm not 100% sure. I I don't know. I want to say Mexican-American, but I'm not sure. Um, But you've got, you know, a fair amount of diversity within the the group that's acceptable <laughs> you know yes, in I that context more, more so in the show than in the movie the movie yes. is very white mm-hmm. very white and they're um, also like i think one of the strongest things about the movie is the madonna and rosie o'donnell like sort of um comedic relief runner you know yeah, they are fun. just italian weirdos throughout the whole movie <laughs> and i like it was my favorite rewatching it um just about a week ago i guess that was my favorite thing was how they kind of just spun those two around and let them go and rosie um, is just sort of doing a, her own live commentary track on whatever's happening like yeah, it's it's although, one of the best ways to use a stand up comic in a movie go yes ahead. <laughs> i do i'm sorry i just have to correct uh, madonna's character is absolutely italian Doris Murphy is oh, not. Oh, I forgot. Uh, no, I see that now. Yes. My apologies. Like O'Donnell herself, she yeah. is Irish. Irish-American. Yeah. But she is, yeah, so that is that is an Irish Catholic character. No, you're totally right. I just, uh, uh, I conflated. Friend, the Italian Catholic-American character. <laughs> I conflated working class Catholic <laughs> subdivisions. Yes. Yes. Um, it's because they have that East Coast, like, stereotypical accent. <laughs> Yes, because they're, that's where they're both actually from. Yep. But, uh, no, that's but just yes. why that got in my head wrong. You know, these girls probably went to Catholic high school together. And that's how they know each other. Very that's much who seems Doris that way. and May yeah. are. <laughs> yes, and yeah. now they're trying out for baseball together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, yeah. that that energy that they had together, especially Rosie, it just I found it one of the most charismatic um, facets of that film. Yeah, I think that was her first movie. Um, and she's like, yeah, she's a delight in that. So is Madonna, weirdly. Yeah. Um, fun fact, Deborah Winger was was meant to play Dottie Hintz in the Gina Davis role and dropped out when they cast Madonna. Apparently. I read that. And I'm so curious what that story is. Do you know anything more about that? Uh, what I think I know from the little bit of reading I've done on it, because <laughs> I, I don't want to demonize anyone. I don't want to demonize Deborah Winger. No, I don't um, need to either. My but. my understanding of it is that at least at the time, she felt it was sort of stunt casting. Oh, okay. She had no idea if Madonna could act. And in fact, neither did the world. I think this is also one of Madonna's early movies. I yeah. think she had done Desperately Seeking Susan. Okay. Um, but I think... My understanding is that Deborah Winger saw it kind of as we're stunt casting a pop star for the ticket sales. Yeah. Instead of making, uh, you know, sort of a good movie. going about making this movie seriously yeah. in the way that we should. Um, now, that's the story that's out there. It's entirely possible that something else happened in Deborah Winger's life that caused her to drop out of the movie and that this is a story that got invented about it. It like, I don't, we yeah. can't be sure without speaking to her. We can't be sure. So, uh, I don't I don't want to put words in her mouth in that way. But the story yeah. that's out there is that she dropped out when Madonna was cast because she didn't agree with the casting. I don't know if that's true. As far as I can tell, Madonna has something like five feature credits before this. 
Okay. Um, just sort of scanning IMDb, and it's definitely Rosie's first feature credit. Yeah. Although she so, had a bunch of TV work, and Madonna has like a hundred thousand music videos on her IMDb. These should be in a different yeah. category than actress, <laughs> but that's yeah. just me talking to IMDb. Yeah. So Gina Davis was actually the last person cast yeah. in the original film because it had been supposed to be Deborah Winger. Um, also, they then ran into the issue of they had cast Lori Petty as Deborah Winger's sister. So they had cast for resemblance with oh, a different sure, yeah. actress and then hired Gina Davis. And so that is why Lori Petty's hair is red in the movie. Okay. Because the fastest way to make them believable as sisters. Yeah. Was to change the hair color. Now I've seen, uh, I've seen it said both that it's a wig and that her hair was dyed. I don't know. No idea. Uh, I believe it's Lori Petty who refers to a wig, though, so I'm going to believe her. Yeah. I will say, great wig, because she was able to like put it in pigtails and stuff. So if that is a wig, yeah. if she's not misremembering that they dyed her hair, kudos. And it could have um, been different. <laughs> great wig. Different modes at different times. It could have done reshoots. Like a, you know, we don't know about the production. Also different wigs. Yeah. You know. And like because um, they're wearing hats through so much of the movie. Yes. That affects things. But, Often a telltale sign with wigs is if you try to pull it back into a ponytail or pigtails. It immediately sure, becomes sure, obvious yeah. that mm-hmm. it's a wig. Uh, whereas Kit wears her hair in pigtails a lot. Yeah. Um, now, with a hat, yes, but still it's usually <laughs> obvious at the back, and it's not. So either way, uh, kudos to the hair people, whether they were doing her hair or doing a wig. But that is why Lori Petty has red hair in that movie, was because Gina Davis had red hair, and they didn't have a lot of time to figure out how to make these two look alike, so they just gave them the same hair color. Can <laughs> I they say, don't really look yeah, alike. Yeah, not a ton. Can I say, though, about the casting and resemblances, the... Yeah. The 1988 setting versus the 1940 mm-hmm. setting, mm-hmm. the actors that they found to match, you know, for the older versions, dynamite casting across amazing. the board. Amazing. So much Absolutely so that people amazing. still Google, you know, how did they make Gina Davis look old? Yes, in the movie. because when I saw the movie the first time, I assumed it was excellent aging makeup, I which particularly for 1992 too. was incredible yeah because techniques have gotten better um and aging makeup is often fairly obvious and that was the most beautiful job i had ever seen and then of course realized it was not a beautiful job of aging makeup they had found an actress who looks remarkably like gina davis yeah her name is lynn cartwright and she was an icon of the studio era yeah and looked just like her now they did dub gina's voice that is a thing that i think confuses a lot of people I think that's why so many people are still Googling it. And only her voice. The other older versions of the characters, those actors spoke on screen. Yeah. Um, But to be fair, Gina Davis does have quite a distinctive voice. Absolutely. And and I do not know, to this day, I do not know what what the other woman sounds like. See if we can find something while we're talking. That might be fun. um, It makes sense to me that perhaps just their voices were so different that they decided to dub it. But because like, otherwise it would have been too obvious. Yeah, when they go around different. in the end, like, oh my gosh, you're this person and you're that mm-hmm. person. Like, I don't bump on any of them. Like, you oh, of course that's who that is. Everyone. Of course that's who that is. It's beautiful casting. Yeah. Um, shout out to the casting directors on that one because, yeah, it is just beautifully done. They they matched people so well. Um, and then the, the people that we don't 
have is kind of a shame. Like, I actually would really have liked to see an older Evelyn, but we don't get to see an older Evelyn because mm-hmm. she's passed on. But yeah. we do get to see an older Stillwell. Yeah, which, what a weird name. Stillwell I'm sorry, Angel. But... <laughs> I love Stillwell. Yeah. I, well, what I really love is the moment where he's all like, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. And then Tom Hanks throws him at him, knocks yep. him down. It's very funny. <laughs> you should not knock children down, but it was funny in that moment in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, do we want to do a quick nod to Tom Hanks and, like, in the first half of the movie, arguably playing against type? Yes. Because this is a guy who's never in his career, hardly ever played anything close to an antagonist mm-hmm. and is a real douchebag. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's uh, very drunk and very mean. <laughs> yeah. Very funny, though. Yeah. I mean, it is incre- an incredible um, yeah. comedic performance. You never, like, it, I don't think you actually see him as villainous, per se. It's just oh, like, no. oh, this old so-and-so who's probably going to turn around by the end of the movie. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's, mm-hmm. I don't think he's meant to be a villain, yeah. I think. It's, but it, you know, yeah, he's he's a bit of an obstacle to them. Because yeah. they get a coach who can't be bothered and is drunk. Um, he, you know, drank himself out of a career and has not yet yeah. sort of recognized that that's really what happened. Uh, I like yeah, the two punch I'm... of he says, "Oh, I hurt my knee," and um, the guy who's supposed to be Wrigley but isn't Wrigley, who I'm pretty sure is um, uh, Marshall Gary Marshall. It's Harvey Harvey Bars, I think. Yes, and yes something it's like played that. by Gary Marshall. Um, yeah. He says, "You hurt your knee because you were drunk." And I I really appreciate that sort of character turn of like, oh, well, you're blaming this thing, but it's actually something else. Yeah, you're blaming an injury, but the injury was caused by drunkenness. And even had it not been. Yeah. You know, it's way easier to rehab an injury if you're not drunk all the time. Sure. So. Hard to argue. You you might have you might have considered that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I will. One of my favorite moments in all of cinema really is uh, and knowing the story behind it, it's even funnier is uh mom if you're listening to this i apologize for the following bathroom humor but uh there's a scene early on when jimmy dugan tom hanks comes into the clubhouse and goes ignores the women right past them into the bathroom and starts peeing yeah this is a great anecdote and he pees forever for an hour and a half it's over a minute Uh um and what i found out in doing a modicum of research on the League of Their Own. <laughs> I did not do a lot because I know this movie very well, but I reread some of the trivia a, a few weeks ago, probably. Um, what I either hadn't known or had forgotten was that <laughs> in that scene, Penny Marshall is in the stall in the bathroom with a hose. Mm-hmm. And so I had always assumed that the sound was put in later. I had always I assumed, assume just knowing too, what I do yeah. about movie making, was that, you know, Tom Hanks went in, did did the scene of the peeing forever, mm-hmm. um, and then they matched sound to it. That's not what happened. What happened was Penny Marshall was in a stall with the toilet and a hose, and she was running the water out of the hose, and he was reacting to it. Yep, he's so improvising. So he didn't know how long he was going to pee for or when he was done. There is a moment where it seems like he's done and then he's not. That was also a surprise to him. Yep. He never knew what she was going to do in the stall. Um, and it's it's incredibly funny. And it goes on a long time. And at one point, I think it's Doris says, that was some good peeing. Well, before that, they have a little runner where they're timing him. And yes. this is one of the great like yes. Madonna and Rosie moments where they're just sort of playing off what's happening. And I'm sure a lot more of it is scripted than feels scripted. 
but it's yes. they're like here go put, take your watch out yeah yeah they're timing it and uh to this day sometimes if i'm in a public bathroom and there is some incredibly long peeing happening <laughs> i think about tom hanks in this movie and i hear That's rosie o'donnell in my head going that was some good peeing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bathroom bathroom humor complete but uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> look. Sometimes the bathroom is funny. <laughs> that's, that's I'm not accurate. a big fan of bathroom humor, but this particular this particular moment of bathroom humor has stuck with me for 30 years and is still funny. It is funny that they sort of stuck them with that because the other thing that I think about with stuff like this is, did they cut together multiple takes nope. to make it seem ridiculous? You know that? Nope. They just Penny Marshall had an idea and she ran with it and it worked. I mean, possibly they did because, you know, there's different shots yeah. in there. So, yes, possibly it was edited together from different takes. But just the idea of Penny Marshall in the stall pouring water. Pranking her her actor. <laughs> and just when you think it's done, doing it again, like, so that he had to react. It's very, like, it's very funny. I it's, would love to see the, the kind of the fun on a film of that. set that you sort of <laughs> yeah. aspire to. Because I bet that was a fun day for for everyone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm that's... also sure there are a lot of outtakes of people just losing it. Well, that that's <laughs> what know? I mean is that one of the the dailies of that of the times when he just can't hold it together because she's had him there for three minutes, or just when the other because the whole team is there watching this, uh-huh. like just when you know when some of the players just lose it because this has gone on for so long. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks, comedic genius. Um, <laughs> I mean, he and and Penny, of course, had worked together a few years before on Big. Oh, right, so yeah. there was a relationship there. Um, and yeah, what a what a team they were. Well, it was probably good to have a lot of levity when they could get it because I read that the actors trained really hard and had real injuries during filming. So oh, yeah. there's a couple of shots where they're like showing off bruises and scrapes Those and whatnot. And a lot of them are completely real. Yeah, the, the big one that is probably uh, yeah, in, that's in the head of everyone thinking about this right now, the the so-called strawberry bruise. Uh-huh. That was real. That actress really had that. Yeah. That really happened during filming. And I, that's not yeah. makeup at all. I always appreciate that tradition of like, if you actually get hurt in a take, that's usually the one they try to keep in. So, you know, Generally, stunt people yeah. and whatever, that's sort of a, an unspoken tradition. I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but like when, when people actually get hurt, that's the, tra- the take we use. Yeah. I mean, the goal is that they don't actually get hurt. Oh, but absolutely. But that's sort of, I does, think, why the tradition I mean, is important to acknowledge it, that somebody, you know, went above and beyond. Well, and when it happens, it certainly looks more real than any attempt at faking it because it is real. There's that, too. Um, yeah, there were, I mean, they they really were playing with, playing baseball with injuries during yeah. the shoot. They, they trained for a while playing, just playing baseball before it. Um, like, they had baseball boot camp, essentially. Yep. And then... They played a lot uh, for the movie because they needed just footage of baseball. So there was, were lots of times where they just played baseball just, for hours. Yeah, there must be tons and tons of, I guess, what we call B-roll in another format. <laughs> because they needed it. Yeah. yeah because um, for the game sequences and stuff, you couldn't just get, you know, those couple of shots. They really... Yeah. And, and they really are playing baseball the whole time. Um, yeah, actually, probably the... The injury that people don't realize happened is Lori Petty broke her foot pretty early in filming. Yeah, I read um, that. So if you pay attention, like her socks are weird at times. Oh like no! One is up and one is that she's hiding a cast. Solid. <laughs> That's well, why she's, her socks are always weird. <laughs> she does have that sort of peanuts character vibe that she could have one sock up and one sock down, and it wouldn't be oh, out Kit of character. Absolutely <laughs> would. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love Kit very much. Kit is my favorite. She is sort of the, uh, she's the, the slightly younger sister, like just younger enough that it that it makes a difference. Well, or that it it shouldn't, but it does. Like just yeah. younger enough to just always be in the older one's shadow. Yeah, um, which is a a thing that is a a younger sister close in age to my older sister. I very much relate to because yeah, when, when you are so often called Jennifer's sister, <laughs> or in her case, Dottie's sister, yeah, by, by people who do and don't know you very well. Um, well, and I think that, that's why that is a real thing that happens when you are the younger of I would imagine two siblings of any gender. Yeah, as long as you're the same gender. Yeah. So I would imagine this happens to two boys as well. That uh, that yeah, you get referred to if you're the younger one. You are fairly often referred to as the other one's sister, and that does not ever happen the other way. <laughs> and I think the casting is so strong; it really reinforces that dynamic visually. Both their height difference, and you know, yes. just the Gina Davis being you know a traditionally very attractive woman. Like there's, mm -hmm. it's not hard to put yourself into Kit's place and see Dottie mm -hmm. through her eyes, and just like God, I can't can't ever be as good as you at anything just for once. Yes, and because I think what's part of what's so hard for Kit is that Dottie is seemingly effortlessly good at things absolutely that, and doesn't want them as much yeah whereas kit works her ass off and is either not quite as good or is not seen as being as good because yeah. she's constantly being compared Dottie is so dazzling yeah to people <laughs> that it doesn't in some ways it doesn't matter how great a pitcher kit is because no one will ever believe she's as good as Dottie. And I think it's a really key part of her journey. Yeah. As much as she is angry when she gets traded to the Racine Bells, which she doesn't want, and which Dottie was not attempting to engineer in Dottie's defense. Absolutely. Yeah. She said, trade me, mm -hmm. and they traded Kit instead. Uh, that was not her intention. But as, as angry as Kit is because of that, as hurt as she is, it's actually necessary for her to become a player in her own right, because it's yeah. not until she gets to Racine that she's finally out of Dottie's shadow. Yeah. And we yeah. we see later, like, kids are now finally, they're stopping her for autographs. They're, that was a great like, moment. She, she had to get away from Dottie, and not because of anything that Dottie was doing. It's not Dottie's fault. Yeah. Um, but she had to get away from her sister in order to be seen as a whole person in her own right. And it's Kit who goes on, spoiling the movie here, but it's been 30 <laughs> years. If you haven't seen it, I cannot help you. Um, unless you're under 12, in which case you get a pass, but you should go see it now. And you shouldn't be listening to a podcast with an e-sticker anyway. Well, no, but I think this episode <laughs> is safe. Um, uh, it's Kit who has a career in the league. Dottie only plays one year. Yeah. As amazing as Dottie is, she only plays one year because it's not that important to her. Whereas Kit plays the whole time as far as we know i think we're meant to believe that she played up to 1954 yeah that was my inference she's inducted into the hall of fame in her own right like her yeah. pictures there when we go to the hall of fame so yeah. she ends up it ends up being really good for her that she was traded to racine whether she continued to play for racine I, we don't really know that's not addressed no yeah not super um, relevant to her character who cares arc. she could have been traded 15 more times lots of the players were yeah um actually it was very very common in that league in real life because Part of what they wanted to do was keep a real balance between the teams mm -hmm. for the sake of fair competition. Sure. So yeah. uh, players were often traded between teams if the bat, like if one team got too good, if too many strong players were on one team to the point that another team didn't have enough, they would trade them. Yeah, that makes and sense. And send some stronger players to another team 
just to keep it I mean, I don't think this necessarily happens in Major League Baseball now, but in, in so this much. league at the time, yeah. it was really like if, if one team amassed too many really strong players, uh, they would trade a couple of them for the next season so that the games would be more fair. Yeah, and that makes sense for yeah. trying to build a league because if your yeah. local team, like if they always lose in a blowout no matter who they play, you're yeah. not going to want to go see them that much. But if every exactly. game is a nail-biter or you know exactly. that's your perception, then yeah, those yeah. season tickets, you're going to line up for them. It also kind of, unless you're weird, I think it also gets boring if your team just creams everyone they play because there's also yeah. no suspense there. Yeah, no if suspense. If your team is but... so strong it can beat anybody, it's not really fun to watch anymore because there's no suspense. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was kind of a kind of a smart thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they, they have the same kind of, um, towards the end of the series, they have a similar sort of plot point where a key character gets traded and is where then gets tra- yeah. and then is then on the other team at the championship, which very much mirrors the movie. I think that's completely intentional. Yeah. We don't what we don't have in the show is that sister dynamic, not explicitly. The, yeah, although I would say the, that Darcy's character. Uh, that's exactly. Where going. <laughs> cool. Thank you for making interrupting me to make the point I was about to make. <laughs> um, Yes, we don't we don't have the sisters. The movie very much centers on the sisters. We yeah. don't have the sisters in the show. But what we have is Greta and Joe, Darcy and Melanie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the same thing kind of has to happen for them. Like the the sort of difficulty of the Kit Dottie relationship is mirrored more in Joe and Greta. Yeah. And so, yes, then Joe, who is kind of the stand-in for Kit Mm -hmm. has to be the one who gets traded to another team. And I think that's a definite homage to the movie. Yeah. I also think it's incredibly uh, significant that they trade her to South Bend specifically. I kind of expected them to trade her to Racine. Yeah. Like the movie, but they went with South Bend. But as we talked about in real life, (laughs) the real championship was Racine against South Bend. So now we've kind of seen both sides of that mm-hmm. um it was racine who won in real life um which is happens in the movie also yeah racine does beat the peaches in the movie and that is correct racine did beat south bend <laughs> but for the sake of the show south bend beats rockford yeah yeah so i don't know get a fray history a little bit sometimes for dramatic purposes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think because I don't know why they chose the Peaches as the team to focus on. You mean Maybe. for the original movie? It's probably because yeah. they're the best known team because they won the most championships. That's always sort of been my probably. assumption. Yeah, um, they of, of the original four teams, I think they had the prettiest uniform, <laughs> color wise. Um, <laughs> so there's that. I also think the the people who wrote it, I think it's the the sisters are actually based on. His mother and aunt on the the mother and aunt of one of the writers. Oh, interesting. And I think they may have played for the Peaches. Okay. I have to look that up. Um, but yeah, the there was. Uh, it's it's a loose spacing. We don't yeah. know that the original sisters had the same relationship exactly that Dottie and Kit have. Oh, but sure, there was yeah. a there was an older sister younger sister pair who played in the league, and Dottie and Kit are loosely based on them. So. That it also may have been that he was familiar with stories from the Peaches team. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's also a good name, the Rockford Peaches. And it is, <laughs> you know, it is like we sort of joked before about how sexist some of the naming conventions are. Like, 
it's not as bad as the chicks or whomever. Yeah. You know, like it's I mean, harder Kenosha to get. Kenosha Comments is pretty Kenosha pretty Comments good. is fucking solid, both for alliteration yeah. purposes and for not being a bird purposes. Yes. Um. Or, or a fruit. <laughs> Although in the series, much has been made of, of the fruit as a joke. Yeah. Because uh, what, another thing the series has that the movie only barely alludes to mm-hmm. is much more queer representation. Well, yeah. And much more acknowledgement of the sheer number of queer women who were in the league. Um, I think Darcy's character at one point when she's in the the last or the penultimate episode, she's talking to the team and she says, okay, fruits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciated that as a little bit of a double entendre that wouldn't have been one in the 40s. But because yeah. there's so much queer representation... Like, I actually don't know that it wasn't one in the 40s. I think it was. I don't know if that, that slang term fruit, goes that far back. Oh, I think so. I think oh, well. fruit has at least very, very long been uh, a term for a gay man. Yeah. I just, um, oh, I'll have so, to spend some of my own time in Urban Dictionary and figure out what's up with that. You'd have to check. But yeah, I would not be at all surprised if it was in use then. Okay. So um, perhaps an intentional. It was more <laughs> derogatory. Well, sure. Probably. But she doesn't use it that way. Yes. And, and yes, I mean, they are peaches. They are fruits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also think um, one of the characters, I think it was Lupe, says, I think 35% of the league is queer. At least. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's the quote. Yes. Yeah. I think Lupe's underestimating. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it seems because to be a have... real. No, please go ahead. Yeah. I just, we have people like Carson who don't realize they're queer until they get there. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that that story was that unusual. Yeah. Because if you're raised in a society that tells you, you are a woman, you must fall in love with and marry a man. And even if you're not in love with him, you must marry a man because mm-hmm. that is what we do. Um, you might not have had a whole lot of time or space to explore the fact that that may not be who you are. Like that you, you may not be attracted to men, but also you've been told it doesn't matter if you're, you know, like find a good husband and it doesn't, you'll learn to love him. Like that, that was very common. And that's a thing Um, that even like a hundred percent straight people are bombarded with is, you know, like what are your priorities in being married and having children? Like right? your personal pleasure, both sexual and otherwise don't enter into these social contracts that you're expected to make. He's financially stable. He's got a good job. He comes from a good family. Mm-hmm. He'll be a good provider. Like these are all yeah. things you're told got to consider. Whether or not you like him yeah. was pretty far down the list. He likes you much of history. Far more important. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think Carson's story is probably not all that unusual. Yeah. I would suspect that a number of women found themselves in a situation where they were living with a bunch of other women, playing baseball all day long, no men around, and realized, oh, I quite <laughs> like this. This is very good. <laughs> Perhaps this is how it should always have been. <laughs> Perhaps this is what I enjoy. Yeah. Oh, that lady is pretty. Well, and especially <laughs> you know. when you have a setting like the, I don't know, the Friends of Dorothy Speakeasy, if we want yes. to call it that. What a great name. Um, I, that, that definitely, like, I don't know, I don't talk about this a lot, but I am a straight cis dude. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. on the... No, I think that's clear. Everybody's <laughs> on the queer spectrum, per, you know, technically, because sexual orientation well, and identity are end. a spectrum, and that's how yes. it goes, but I... It goes from all the way straight to all the way gay. Exactly. So you are on it. You're just very far at one end. Exactly. But what what I mean to say is I don't that's okay. pretend to have any membership in any kind of queer community. But I did right. think that the club looked like a lot of fun. 
And sure I really appreciated those sequences for the emotional impact of people who are not able to live their lives fully in the real world, finding a haven where they could be themselves and be with other people that they felt were, you know, at least, um, you know, friendly to them. Um, yeah, I very much enjoy Carson realizing she's in a gay bar. It's pretty fun. Yeah, though that that dramatic beat, or I guess I would call it a comedic beat. <laughs> like, look around. Was amazing, um, and her mistaking the like professional relationship because because yes. Lupe is like sort of flirting with a girl on the other team and like, oh mm-hmm. no, they're she's not talking about trading out. You know, you're you're not yeah no betraying me on the, each other. as teammates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not they're not. She's not giving away baseball secrets. <laughs> <laughs> They're just dating. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Baseball she's, secrets. Yeah. She's not she's not telling you the playbook. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. No, that's I mean, first of all, friend of Dorothy is uh, a longtime euphemism. For, Absolutely. Are you gay? Yeah. Are you a friend of Dorothy is one of the ways in which we all identified each other before it was okay mm-hmm. to be out. Um, and then yeah, I thought what a what a beautiful way to honor the movie and include one of the original cast members, but to have Rosie yeah. O'Donnell come in. Um, and because Rosie O'Donnell was not, I don't know that Rosie was ever super in the closet, but she wasn't publicly out back in the day. Yeah, I couldn't um, speak to that. I mean, I assume she may have been out in her personal life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, professionally, it was not really a thing that anybody knew or talked about until after she left her talk show. I kind of, I was not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little bit like when Ellen came out, where I was like, well, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, very awkward in a dress. I know that's a stereotype, but it's like, it's a pretty, also a pretty common predictor. Um, It's like, (laughs) you never had any chemistry with any male co-star and you're extremely awkward in a dress. So yeah, I figured. Um, But but yeah, Rosie Uh. was... That, that was in reference to Ellen, not Rosie. But uh, Rosie in the movie, um, ostensibly that character Doris is straight. Yeah. Rosie played her as gay and admits as much. Oh, interesting. Um, that just always... makes sense with the way the relationship she describes with her, I guess, husband. Yes, the speech that she has on the bus. Yes, that's which what I think is what of. you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. So she tells a story about shooting that. Oh, okay, great. And and how um, because she read it and I think probably correctly <laughs> as you know Doris is gay and I whether or not she knows it she knows something's sure, really not yeah. right with her having this boyfriend that she's really not that into but sort of seems to have to date and um, and so she but Rosie herself knew that she was gay and so she played Doris that way and she uh, she said every every take Penny would be like. Could you basically play it differently? Play it less gay, Rosie. Could you play it less gay? And she would say, yeah, sure, Penn, sure. And then she'd do it exactly the same way. Yeah. Because she didn't want a different take to get in the movie. Yeah. So she, and brilliant, right? Classic. (laughs) Eventually, I think Penny must have just stopped asking for new takes, but she says she basically would just Uh, do it. You know, you make little changes take to take. Of course. Yeah. You know, but that she basically just kept doing what she was doing. Uh, every time Penny said, can you tone it down a bit or can you play it a little more girly or can you, and she'd be like, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And then not do it. (sighs) Good job, Ro. Um, Uh, (laughs) So she, that's how she snuck queer representation into the original A League of Their Own. Yeah. Um, 
I think she also sort of said Penny was not at that time, and I don't I don't want to vilify Penny Marshall at all. I think she was a wonderful director. Uh, I personally have always been angry that she never had was never given another big script and never had another big hit after a league of their own. Like where is her follow up? It absolutely yeah. this thing was a blockbuster. This is it really not a was. Cult movie. Yeah. This was huge. Um, but you know, Penny's a woman, so she didn't really get a follow up. But apparently she was not overly comfortable with the concept yeah. of gayness at the time. I will say 1992 was a very different time. The world was very different. We yeah. did not have the terminology and language that we have now. We did not have some of the freedoms that we have now. Things have changed a lot. So I don't, I can't really fault Penny in that sure, way yeah. for who she was at the time. I like to think she probably had come around by. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we like to think. By later in her life. <laughs> Uh, we we do know that the creators of the show uh, did talk to her before she yeah. passed and and got her blessing. And I can't imagine that they didn't happen to mention that, oh, by the way, we're going to make this show, like, super gay. Yeah. So, and she gave her blessing. So I choose to believe that she was on board by that time in life. But apparently when they were making the movie, she was not so much. Uh, um, yeah. Certainly not with having it be obvious in the movie. And so Rosie... Rosie's little bit of fighting against that was to make sure that that scene, as clearly as possible, painted Doris as gay. Yeah. Um, just to yeah. circle back real quick, the mm -hmm. uh, budget for the movie was $40 million. The box office was 132 and change. And that's just domestic, isn't it? This is the Wikipedia figure, so I think it's total gross. Um, I'd be surprised. It made a, it, it yeah. made a ton of money. It ran for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like I said, I saw it multiple times in the theater in the summer of 1992 because conveniently, I was 14, which was old enough to go to the movies by myself and too young to legally have a job. Yeah. <laughs> I was too old to go to camp and too young to have a job. So, uh, so I think what's... that might have been the summer that I was like part-time nannying for some kids. Mm -hmm. Like. I was sort of a mother's helper. Like the mother was, I think she was trying to work from home or something. Like she, she was usually home. She was around, but she needed someone to look after her kids so she could get work done. Yeah. Like three or four half days a week. So I was looking after these two kids. And then when I wasn't doing that, <laughs> I was at the movies watching A League of Their Own again, probably. Well, they. I, w I went three or four times in the theater. Awesome. <laughs> um, which was a. A pretty big deal. Uh, and then I've seen it multiple times. Yeah, this does seem to be the worldwide theatrical gross. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still, ton of money. Absolutely. Like, and so just to well. your point, for a director to triple their budget and then not get handed the keys to the next big thing, I think we've got some uh, life-imitating art <laughs> happening. Yeah. I mean, the, the other... The thing that infuriates me about this film um, is that we were told at the time, mm -hmm. this will change everything. Oh, yeah, this old chestnut. This will change Hollywood. You know, this will change things for women. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't. Until the Wonder Woman movie, which actually did change every... Wait, no, same thing. Yeah, right? I remember people said that mm -hmm. when Wonder Woman came out. Uh, the first one, not 1984, the first one. <laughs> um, and I believe I had a Twitter thread up at the time yeah. saying, I would love to believe that, but I'm old enough to remember A League of Their Own. Like, I'm old enough to remember being told that this would change everything. And here we all are. <laughs> Like, yeah. it's been, at the time, it had been, like, 28 years or something. And, like, yeah. oh, look, nothing's changed. And Penny Marshall died before she got another hit. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I did, 
back to back to Rosie O'Donnell. I super enjoyed seeing her in yes. the show. Part of me was a little disappointed that they didn't call her Doris. Sure. That they yeah. called her Vi. But at the same time, I think maybe that would have been too much. Because... Might have been too much of a wink. Yes. And because, of course, Doris cannot exist at the same time as Vi. Basically, yeah. Because they're the same person. <laughs> like, she can't. And Dor- Doris Murphy, if she was running around the league, mm-hmm. you know, not on the Rockford Peaches, if we want to imagine, can <laughs> cannot be Vi. Yeah. Because she's a, a version of that person who's 30 years younger but it, it was very very cool to see her i got weepy when she came on screen yeah um it's only one episode that she's in so far i don't know if we'll see her again um I, that's all one episode yeah I, well, I was trying to remember i know you I, said she was recurring but it's actually one episode she just has multiple scenes yeah i watched i watched this all like within 24 hours so that i was trying to remember. understandable <laughs> understandable it's hard to remember yeah. the, the episode <laughs> breaks the episodes are fairly long as well yes um so i can see and her scenes are are spaced apart mm-hmm. in that yeah episode but i'm quite sure she only did one she just did one yeah um but we see her toward the top of the episode and then we see her again I guess that's what it is. The yeah. end. We might even see the bar in another episode, but we don't meet her yet. Yeah, she's only credited with one episode on IMDb, yeah. so I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Um, but I, I hope if we get a season two, we're still waiting on that decision. Ugh, why? Um, I do hope that maybe uh, Vi will come back. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be a little complicated given what happened. You know, the bar got rousted and... Yes, but, I mean, to our doesn't knowledge, mean the, the character, character remains can't. alive. Oh, of course. Yes. The yeah. character remains alive, mm-hmm. so I would I would hope that maybe they'll set up shop somewhere else. Maybe we will encounter them again. Yeah, I also think that would it be would my be pitch. fun... With, I mean, without doing too much of it, I think it would be fun to have other people from the original film do cameos. And that was another thing that I was curious about going in is if they were going to do anything like that. And by the time we got to the episode where we see Rosie, I had forgotten to sort of be on the lookout for that. Uh, um, yeah. And so to see her in a very differently presenting character, mm-hmm. like just, oh, wow, this that's so cool and interesting is very yeah. different person in this world that obviously mm-hmm. belongs here in the same way. Um I think having obviously Tom Hanks, Gina Davis would be very distracting, but there's a bajillion other people in that movie who could be in a more, you know, be easier to slot into other parts in that world. Yes. I think you could even get away with Laurie Petty. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, Partly because uh, Laurie Petty today looks quite different than Laurie Petty then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's done some really interesting work and done some really interesting character work. Um, Yeah. You know, if you've seen her on Orange is the New Black, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Was it Station Eleven, I think? I did Um, not watch that. There are are a couple of shows called Station Something, and I mix them (laughs) up, but I believe the one she's on is Station Eleven. Uh, I saw part of that. I have not seen all the episodes of that yet. Because I'm rotating my streaming services, and it's on one I don't currently have. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's Station Eleven. It is. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, So I think you... I, I think you... I think she looks different enough in life yeah absolutely from kit, and in some ways always did yeah um that she like kit is quite tame for uh, a presentation of laurie petty so i think <laughs> i mean that with love <laughs> i love laurie petty i think she's amazing uh <laughs> let's so talk about you, tank girl <laughs> right i think you could find a way to bring laurie petty in and i also know that she's open to it she's made it publicly known yeah that'd be great that she uh thinks 
the the whole idea of the show is great and that mm-hmm. if they would like her she would love to be involved so yeah. i think maybe i also i just really want them to bring in megan kavanaugh sure, let's yeah. talk about marla hooch for a minute absolutely marla hooch one of the greatest characters in the league of their own absolutely um unfortunately the the butt of one of my favorite jokes in the league of their own <laughs> which one so after they've uh, gone to see Marla play and uh, Dottie and Kit have convinced the recruiter that it doesn't matter that he doesn't find Marla pretty enough, mm-hmm. she must come with them. And Marla is uh, sort of saying goodbye to her dad and, and they're waiting for her on the train and she just, she just stands there not moving because that's what Marla does yeah. sometimes. She's very dear in the headlights. And John Lovett says to her, See how it works is the train moves, not the station. Yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> I've been laughing at that for 30 years. And Lovitz is so good at it's tossing off funny. ridiculous things like that. He's so deadpan about yeah. it. It's so great. I love it so much. It's very funny. That is one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. He is he is um, one of our most distinctive comedic actors of just like he really is. being able to say things and yeah. completely believe them. You know, just, mm-hmm. I mean, the wedding singer, you know, all SNL. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one radio, episode of Friends just... where he eats all the he eats all the mocklets. Okay. <laughs> There's an episode of Friends where he Monica is. I think I don't think I have my episodes mixed up. I think this is all the same episode. So <laughs> Monica is tasked with. She's given a substance called mocklet. Okay. Which is. Meant to be fake chocolate. Oh, mock chocolate. I see. All right. Yes. So it's called, the brand is Mocklet. And she's supposed to like bake a bunch of stuff with it. And this guy comes over, I think. He, I think it's the Mocklet episode. I could be wrong. But this guy, this like restaurant critic guy comes over to test food she's made. To the apartment? Yes. And whether he gets it from her or from Chandler and Joey or from somewhere completely different. Anyway, he's, he's had a bunch of weed. And he's high as a kite. Sure, why not? And he just keeps eating everything. And he's hilarious. Like, it's just, it's, I now think maybe it's not the Mocklet episode, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's right. ridiculous. And it's, uh, I'm going to see if I can just find him on IMDb for a second. So well, for me, for me, it's out. hard not to think of Lovitz without the word jealous. Slipping into your head because that's that's love. It's in a nutshell. <laughs> it's just that attitude. But yeah, I am scrolling, scrolling, scrolling back through his extensive filmography, yeah. trying to find the '90s. The man's gotten some work in his time. What can we say? He absolutely has. I also don't know what season he was in. Here we go. Oh, he did two. Oh, okay. But the one I'm remembering is called the one with the stoned guy. There you go. It's 1995, so just about two years after A League of Their Own. Okay, I'm wrong. I don't think it's the Mocklet episode. Pardon me. However, it's uh, Monica cooks a gourmet meal for a restaurateur who's looking for a new chef. However, he arrives at the apartment stoned. Solid. Yes. Very professional. uh, This episode is worth watching because it is ridiculous. (laughs) He is extremely stoned and just yeah it's he's it's a very 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 funny performance but yeah um, great at committing yes. to the bit john lovitz yes uh i i find him very funny in the league of their own every time i see him it's the first thing i think of oh yeah uh, and i do know also i know that his part 
in the script was actually quite a lot bigger than what ended up on screen. Oh, really? Because to me, it, it actually it, feels it expanded. <laughs> no, it was bigger. It's actually cut down. And, huh. and if you look, he's actually not in all that much of it, but he's so memorable. Yeah. The parts he's in, he just steals the scenes. And I think that's um, my which feeling might be is part of why they cut him out. <laughs> it seems like they just wrote a part, and then once they had him, they're like, "Okay, we'll keep the camera pointed at him. He's a genius." Like that's uh, that's know. how the vibes of those scenes, like the train scene when some random person yes. is talking to him, like, "What is that for?" Mm-hmm. That doesn't advance the story. That's just we wanted to point the camera at John Lovitz. Yeah, or even when he comes to recruit the sisters on their farm. Yeah, uh, he. Apparently, the two of them were really having trouble keeping it together. Why well, I would think They're talking because about he cows? Was so funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he's just—it's an indelible performance. He's very memorable in that movie, and I'm always surprised when I go back and see how little he's really in it. Yeah. Because because he's so memorable. But yeah, yeah the the you see how it works is the train moves, not the station. Is uh, it's, a, it's a solid joke. One of the all-time greatest lines. Yeah. Uh, but Marla. Yes. So Marla really Marla develops over the over the course of the film, you know? She goes from this extremely shy but <laughs> uh, amazingly talented baseball player. It's a heavy hitter. Who's been been raised by a single dad and he immediately when when Marla's going to be rejected for not being pretty enough, he's like, "Look, that's my fault. I don't know what to do with a girl." Fucking Eddie I raised Jones. Her like I would a boy. Eddie Jones is <laughs> a, an icon also, such a tremendous actor. Uh, yeah, and he does a just a lovely job as her dad. Yeah, um, but he he's just sort of like, look, I don't know. I put her in pants. I didn't know what to do. She's yeah. a girl. I'm a boy. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, you really do feel bad for him. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the they don't say it, but you really get the sense that like the sisters are like, well, look, just give us a few minutes with a makeup case, and we can we'll make it work. Very much so. Um, but but you know they. They have some fun with how plain Marla is in the first half of the movie. Yeah. But then uh, she, they all go to charm school, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> and learn how to apply makeup because that really was part of being in the league. Yeah. And uh, then she gets a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And boy, does she ever blossom. And that scene in the bar where she's like singing <laughs> 1940s right, style right. karaoke yeah. and she's singing at him. And they're trying to get her to leave because they're in trouble because of curfew. And she's like, I'm singing. Well, it's such a great reveal because she's singing the whole scene, but they don't show her until the very end. You know, you hear the voice, but Dottie is looking for everybody and trying to round up her wayward lambs. And um, where's Marla? Where's Marla's like, oh, she's been up there the whole time. Mm -hmm. She's and that's why Dottie couldn't find her because she was like in the spotlight and doing something. Yes, I'm trying to remember the name of the boyfriend. I'm oh, right now. I... it's like Winston or Nelson, but neither of those seem. Yeah. Right. Is it Nelson it might be Nelson. There's a Nelson in the cast. That mu- it must be Nelson. She, I just remember her being like, "I'm singing to Nelson." Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you go, Marla. Um. Yep, that's um, him, Alan yeah. Wilder. Yeah, and then, um, you know, we get to see older Marla at the end of the yeah. film, which was. As far as I can still tell, really very good casting. All, all of those parts. Like, that's maybe the best casting I've ever seen in a movie. Because yeah. how do you just... I guess you go through hundreds of thousands of headshots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, you 
it'll be another 20 years before we know how truly successful it was because by then these women will be roughly the age yeah. of the older yeah. versions of them from from the whatever it was from 40 the 50s to the 90s. from 43 to 88 is the time period yeah so, it's so we've got 45 than, years know. yeah so yeah. we've got so 15 more years yeah so you know, I, w- I was kind of doing 40s to 90s in my head. Yeah, no, you got it. But uh, so 50 years. I wasn't but, yeah, doing math police. I was just also doing <laughs> the math. It'll be a little longer, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think you do. You look at tons and tons and tons of headshots. Yeah. Um, I do know that during the credits, uh, some of the baseball scenes that we see in the credits, those are the real players yes. from the real league mm-hmm. at a reunion. So I'm unclear on whether any of the actors playing older versions also happen to be those baseball players. I did not see any, anything <laughs> other way in my so. research, but my guess is no. But it seems to be sort of a combination because yeah. we see some of the older versions playing, but then we also see these other women yeah. who are players from the original league. Um, yeah. The other um, team member of the 93 Peaches, um, mm-hmm. Anne Cusack's character, who could oh, not read. Surely. Like, yes, that, that's a lovely moment. That's one of the like supporting character arcs that I always found the most powerful. And mm-hmm. they didn't quite replicate that um, with Priscilla Delgado, but they sort of kind of ish. Yeah, I with think a, she's just a character who's not English fluent. <laughs> yeah, because she, she has we have a language barrier yeah. with SD, whereas yes, for Shirley it was that she could not read. Yeah. And then if, through the movie we see we see Madonna teaching her to read with like dirty romance novels. Yep, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. And like, just oh, that, I'm sorry for taking. No, no, point. not a not a problem. We're <laughs> we're freewheeling like we promised. Um, but I, I like seeing in both of the teams, like you really get a good sense of the ensemble and like they mm-hmm. combine the characters in enough interesting ways that you get a good sense of how everybody feels about everybody else. Yes. Yeah. And I just I think those little arcs add so much to even just, you know, to our movie, like they could have spent that time just on your top three leads but they chose to really flesh out the ensemble and so you remember everybody and in a cast that is not as um, diverse in color, Mm -hmm. it's really helpful to have people, you know, like this one's a mom and this one's learning to read and this one's doing this and this one's doing that. You know, the, all of these, all of these team members have a particular role. And the other thing I think is fun about the movie is they're credited with their positions as well. Yes, they are. (laughs) Which is so cool. Which uh, I don't think they are in the show. No, not in the credits. Um, <laughs> At least not yet. <laughs> but we do get a good sense of like what everybody is on the field. Yeah. Um, although I will yeah. say I have one note about the show. I have oh. literally one thing I didn't like. Okay. That's a serious okay. thing that I actively disliked. And it's the CGI balls. Mm. They are not playing baseball in the same way. They're doing speed ramping. They are doing stuff with computers. I mean, I'm being generic for my amusement Mm -hmm. but it was so distracting there there's some shots early in the series where they're like you know a center fielder throws it to the shortstop throws to third Mm -hmm. base kind of you know like it's pop pop Mm -hmm. pop and the throws don't have arcs the ball just like zip 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 like there's no gravity Mm -hmm. to it I found it incredibly distracting to watch the movie, which is all 100% practical, and then go directly into the show and whatever CGI nonsense they're mm-hmm. doing, either they're speeding it up or they're adding balls. Like, there are a lot of swings that don't have weight. You know, like you hear the bat hit the ball, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. like the actor doesn't seem to be reacting. I, I very much did not like that. 
this might be where my not having a very big television comes into play because it didn't bother me as much. Yeah. My, my TV's only 32 inches and it's across the room. Yeah. So these things don't read as clearly as if you're sitting right next to your uh, computer screen while you're watching or if you've got like a five-foot television. <laughs> it didn't bother me that much. Yeah. Um, also, as I can't remember if you said this on mic or off mic before we talked, but mm. there's less baseball in the show oh, than in the movie Oh, very much so, overall. yeah. So, yeah, I found it didn't distract me that much, didn't bother me that much. I um, Once I noted it, I couldn't get rid of it. And so I will say that's partially on me. But, yes, mm. also, that I think I, I had said when we were doing prep, uh, pound for pound, there is less baseball in the show than there is yeah. in the movie. But, like, yeah. all of that sort of B-roll stuff of people just playing, like, when they're mm -hmm. actually showing the games, it is edited, like, really tightly and mm -hmm. a lot of the angles are kind of weird and the shots are close. So there's a lot of shots where you're showing a person at bat, whether it's, you know, Abby or Darcy or whomever. Mm -hmm. But the ball and the catcher and the, um, I always want to say ref, but the ump are not in frame. <laughs> it's just like a yeah. oneer on the player's mm -hmm. face. Yeah. And like it's it it's not shot the way they shoot sports. <laughs> I think some of that is also a function of the speed with which you have to film a TV show. I think that's probably it, too, is we got to get through, you know, X pages a day, not a quarter of a page a day like they do with yeah, movies sometimes. I, mean, I, think, I don't know how long they had to film all of the movie A League of Their Own mm -hmm. as opposed to how long they had to film all of the show A League of Their Own. Yeah. But if I were a, a betting woman, I would guess they probably had about four months each. Yeah. I guess <laughs> it's comparable for four times the amount of content. Yes, I would imagine the shoot length was not that different necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so that that uh, if you're going to make a compromise, I'd rather it be there than on the actor. Oh, absolutely. And I, I totally get why, you know, OK, safety is a hazard. They're shooting some of that, I think, during COVID. Like, yes. you just have to work with yes. all of these things. And um, yeah, you don't want to necessarily beam they somebody with a baseball. COVID. Yeah. You know, when you already have all these other restrictions. So mm -hmm. I, I get why that was necessary if they did mostly use a CGI ball, which is my observation. But it mm -hmm. made it harder for me to it broke me out of the reality of the show where I want to think mm -hmm. like, oh, is Lupe having a good game or is she starting to get tired? Like I want to be in the moment, like who's a good, you know, who's hitting well mm -hmm. today? Like, oh, I can't tell because this thing is distracting me. It's interesting to me that you're watching the ball for that because I'm watching Lupe. Yeah. But <laughs> like it's I'm watching the actors. It's the whole thing. I don't care what the ball is. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. I just I guess it just, it just didn't. Well, but there's me. a reality index not... to it. Right. Like if if you're saying somebody is good at something, but then you're not portraying them as being good at it. The reactions like there's an objective reality within the camera. I guess I just didn't notice it to the extent you did. Honestly, that's fine. That's a subjective thing. Like it just thing. didn't bother me at all. Yeah. I was like, that's not what I, I'm not really watching the ball that much. Partly because we're not seeing it shot the way sports are shot. Yeah. Because it's not shot the way the movie was shot. No, totally. Which was yeah. shot more the way sports are shot during the baseball sequences. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's possible that they had to compensate for things like the actor's actual abilities. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible that they were on a timeline. And because um, of COVID, they probably couldn't do a baseball boot camp like they did with the the movie, like they do with war movies and stuff. Like, yeah, I don't they know. They maybe were not able to get or everybody together. One. Yeah, if they did one, it may have been shorter mm -hmm. because you have to think about things like the quarantine period beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like, how long can you hold people? Yeah, and when you have, if you have to do a fourteen day 
quarantine before you even start the baseball boot camp. You have to pay all those people for all those days. The cast and the crew and everybody. That really adds to your budget. Yeah. Well, you may you maybe don't have to quarantine the crew before baseball boot camp because you're not filming it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the entire cast yeah. has to be paid all day, every day for 14 days. Yep. And then you start baseball boot camp. And you would also have to quarantine everyone teaching them to play baseball. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I can see the budget limitations of how, assuming they did one, I don't know, but I would assume they must have had some baseball practice time before they started filming. Would have had to have done something, yeah. Something, yeah, but it may have been a shortened length because of budget. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do much... Um like research or looking for interviews of Jacobson and Graham talking about their production or anything. So it's possible that they've spoken to this and I just didn't look for it to find yeah, it. Yeah. I didn't specifically look it up either. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that it's funny. Cause I had one other moment in the entire series that didn't ring through. For oh, me. hit me. Uh, but it's, it's, so, it's, this silly, is our but, teeny tiny complaint um, corner. And then we'll go back to the teeny, praise shower. Teeny, first of all, shout out to Dale Dickey, who I otherwise <laughs> Very much enjoyed in her role as Beverly. Really, really, really loved her. Oh, yeah. She um, was great. Dale Dickey is, if you don't know her name, she's a face you know. <laughs> um, she is a that lady. She's in everything. For sure. Um, she's done a ton of work, and she shows up with probably equal frequency in television and film. Um, you've, you've seen yeah, her. Yeah, Winter's Bone, know. Hell or High Water. Yeah. Iron Man if you're three. listening to this and you can't picture her, just go to IMDb and look up Dale Dickey, D-A-L-E, Dickey, uh, and you will recognize She's her immediately. She's in Palm Springs. The one moment I had where it really didn't ring true involved her, and it's uh, when she is supposed to chaperone the date. Uh-huh. And then she says, I am suddenly indisposed menstrually. Oh, I'm sorry, Dale. Yeah. There is no way you're still having periods. Oh, I didn't even. I bumped on that I didn't think that far into that, but yeah. Beverly is too old. (laughs) I'm sorry, but very clearly too old. Uh, We're not told how old Beverly is, but Dale Dickey was born in 1961. (laughs) So just go ahead and do that math. (laughs) She's over 50. Yeah. Which is not to say, look, 50 is not a hard finish. I'm not arguing that. Sure. I am saying Dale Dickey is in her 60s. And generally speaking, yeah, we are all done before that happens by several years. Yeah, I barely remember that beat. But Mid-50s is unusual. Is it possible that they meant the character to be younger and didn't take the line out after they cast? I suspect it was something like that, okay. yes. Um, or they just fudged it i i don't know i it it struck me because it seemed so strange all she had to say was i'm indisposed oh totally yeah she could have had a stomach thing there could have they could have created some minor emergency at the house where she needed to stay because somebody else was sick yeah oh wait could she be referring to someone else no okay i don't remember that moment so i'm clearly not okay someone else having their period would not be cause for her to stay home i yeah i wouldn't think but her having it back then might have been. Sure. Or, you know, cramps uh, or something else. Yeah. There's that, although she appears fine. But, you know, products were different and not readily available. And not as easy to change. Yeah, very much so. In the 40s. So, uh, I like, 
it still seemed like a weird uh, excuse. Yeah. In any in any sense, but I bumped on it because I just it it was like when Hillary Clinton was running for president, and the Republicans <laughs> were all like, "What if she gets her period?" And I was that like, would "That be woman a... is in her sixties. It's not going to happen." <laughs> I think you said to me something along the lines of, "That would be a miracle." <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, not a miracle. Or whatever, you know. Listen, we're happy when it's over. Yeah. But uh, listen, that, yeah, it that's would, how it would be an unlikely act of God. It is. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's might, maybe that's what you said was act of God. It yeah. it might turn me away from atheism. <laughs> um, Bring you back to the fold. It would be, <laughs> I mean, obviously, my first objection to that is uh women have been doing stuff well on our periods yeah forever anything you can do i can do bleeding and in pain and you wouldn't even know um i think that was ginger rogers quote pretty much <laughs> uh and backwards and in heels um so it yeah but it, it was and my other objection to that is do you understand biology <laughs> well so, the short answer to that if you're talking about a republican politician is no well, clearly they do not the answer is um, no but yeah, so with and I did not mean for this to become such a big topic, but Whatever. it just it really struck me both times I watched that episode because I've watched the whole series twice through. Yeah. And and will again. Both times I really bumped on it because I was just like, ah, you could if she I don't think that Beverly is coming up with a reason not to go on the date mm-hmm. because that would maybe be an explanation. Just an excuse, yeah. Yeah, where she's just going to let them but go But that out doesn't ring true to me. Like, the only it thing doesn't... she does that's uncharacteristic is at the very end when she gives exactly. um, Jess back her um, the money, the money yeah. that she, her fines. Yeah. And this doesn't, that doesn't ring as a callback to this. No. If she had done it with a bit of a wink and a nod, yes. then I would accept it. But she does it absolutely straight. Yeah, there's no, like, air quotes. And it, <laughs> nothing. And it just struck me as, like... You guys know how old Dale Dickey is, right? Yeah, I don't know. You understand that that's probably not possible, right? I mean, I, you know. She's like 60. Um, maybe, maybe some women go that long. I've never met one. I guess we Most could say Most women, for... it's over between 50 and 55. Sometimes Yeah, earlier. the character could arguably be in her mid-50s. Like, there's a stretch there. It's possible, maybe, maybe. But yeah, yeah. It just... I tend to assume. I don't know if this is as as an actual working professional your thought, but my general thought is that the unless otherwise specified, the character mm-hmm. is the age of the actor plus or minus ten percent. That's sort of my general personal rule of thumb. Uh, yeah, my I mean, I've canon. never, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, certainly not as specifically as plus or minus ten. Just you know, I sort of always... as a, a vague. Well, we all have playing ranges, too. Like, I certainly don't expect a character to be exactly the age of the actress. Yeah. What I'm saying is, looking at Dale Dickey, I would assume that she has not menstruated in some time, yeah. even without knowing her birthday. <laughs> um, so you're talking about verisimilitude more than anything else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. In terms of how old I think a character is, yeah, generally I assume they're kind of the age the actor appears to be. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not, I, you know, I don't necessarily check birthdays. Yeah, that's where my guideline that. comes in. <laughs> Yeah, I and I I don't. Yeah. I just kind of unless unless the character's age is stated. Yeah. Uh which it sometimes is. Like if it's important if the character if it's the main character on a TV show and we happen to know their birthday or something and it's stated then yeah. that's how old the character is. Otherwise, yeah, I assume they're roughly the same age as the actor, yeah. but I don't look farther into it than that. Um 
Yeah, unless they have like a constantly moving age, that's always fun. <laughs> like where the show messes up and they can't remember how yeah. old their character is. That's fun. But no, I, I usually assume like, because it also mostly doesn't matter. Yeah. So like, yeah, generally you know, adults are adults. <laughs> I would assume is somewhere in her 30s or somewhere in her 40s. Like, I look at this actor, whether or not I know them, and I'm like, well, that person's probably somewhere between 30 and 40, so I guess that's what we're dealing with. Well, and that was the thing um, that I thought was interesting yeah. about the Peaches in the show is, like, there's actually a pretty big age range in mm-hmm. the the actors, at least. And again, using our same framework, you've got um, Delgado, who I think is, like, 20, and then some of the yeah. other actors go up to, like, late 30s. I, yeah. I don't know I mean, how think... true to life that is. I don't know either way. I'm not making a criticism. Um, I just thought it was interesting to like, yeah, these are just a bunch of professional working people. They have an age range. I think Darcy and Abby are probably on the older end mm-hmm. um, in their late 30s. Yeah. I, I didn't I look up anybody else. Is. Kate Berlant, I think, because I know her from tons of comedy stuff is a couple years younger, maybe. Yeah, so we established that Abby was born in 1986. 84, I think you said. No, 84, 84, uh, which makes her like 38 or so. Yep. Right? Um, Darcy Carden, 1980. Okay, so Darcy's 42. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know her exact birthday, but based on math by year. I'm just looking at years. Yeah, so I would assume. The rest of the top casts, they don't all have birth dates in IMDb. No. Um, uh, Molly Ephraim, 86. 1986. Oh, she. So her character, Maybell, very fun. And yeah. Clearly a bit of a callback to Evelyn in the movie. Absolutely. Although she was um, a secret parent, which I thought was fascinating. Yes. And also was pregnant throughout the shoot, which they were actively hiding. <laughs> Is that what that was? Um, okay. Yeah, she's pregnant. And it's. Uh, they revealed that later. I don't think the character is necessarily meant to be pregnant, but the actress so. happened yeah. to be pregnant during filming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Kate, 1987. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these actors are in their 30s. Um, the League, I have not been able, I have researched this. Oh, okay. Because one of the criticisms I saw of the show early on was how old the actors were. Okay, interesting. And the first thing I did was point out to that person that, uh, Gina Davis was like 36 when they did a league of their own. Like this is not new. Yeah. Um, in the movie, I do know they were playing down significantly in age. For instance, Kit was meant to be 17 and Lori was around 27. Oh wow, 17. But it's never stated. I didn't realize they so, were supposed to be that far apart. I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. I think that Dottie was probably meant to be about 25. Okay. <laughs> at most. Yeah. Um, I and their ages are never ever stated in the movie, so yeah. I've only heard from Lori Petty that Kit was seventeen. Interesting. I suspect that that was probably in the character description. Yeah. Um. I know that in the actual league, the youngest players were fifteen. Wow. Most of them, though, were adult women. Yeah. And I have not been able to find an upper age limit. Like, there's no rule on the books yeah. about how old they can be. Nor have I been able to find out, and this might just be lost to history, how old the oldest players were, either at the beginning or end. But just based on the photos I've seen, these are grown women. And it it kind of makes sense to me. 20s, 30s. Yeah, that they wouldn't have too much of an age limit, given the fact that they weren't expecting them to actually, like perform athletically is the awkward way that that's coming like they're not looking for top shelf athletes only 
because they have that sort of like, oh, we want you to represent a feminine ideal nonsense. And so it seems like a lot of the recruiting was done for aesthetic purposes, not just athletic purposes. I would disagree with that based on the AAGP BL's actual website. Okay. And what they've, the actual, what I do know about recruiting, which was, no, they were looking for the combination. Okay. They needed, they wanted very strong players and that's who they were recruiting. Okay. Um, well, then it's just what also, I looked at, the sources that I found. Obviously, they also wanted them to be pretty or as pretty as possible. Yeah. But that's part of what charm school was about. Mm-hmm. So they were, in some cases, taking women who they felt needed some aesthetic improvement and doing that improvement. Okay. Um, which is stupid, but they were doing <laughs> that. Yeah. But no, they absolutely were. They wanted them to be real athletes, to be real players. Okay. Which is sometimes at odds with getting someone super girly. Sure. Hence charm school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there were rules about what they could wear. There were rules about what they could do. There were rules about hair and makeup and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because there was very much an image, yes, that they wanted to project. Yeah. But more than anything, they needed them to be strong players. The prettier, the better, but strong players. Okay. Um, so they did. That's why they were recruiting from softball teams and stuff they did not take a bunch of pretty women and teach them to play baseball oh yeah no there's an extreme version of of that for sure they took a bunch of women who already were actively and voluntarily playing sports yeah and then did their best to fit them into the image of the league i'm not saying there weren't women they rejected for looks Uh, there probably were well there was a sequence on the show i think where they just like yanked somebody out of line like didn't they cut a woman during the like post charm school review Yes. Now, whether that truly happened, I don't yeah. know. Um, that was that was traumatic. <laughs> but yeah, there and that comes close to happening to Marla in uh-huh, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So charm. A lot. There was a lot riding on charm school, but um, they. Yeah, because I think the idea was: look, we can do a lot with hair and makeup. We sure. get someone yeah. who is a pretty strong player, and then we will do their hair and makeup. Yeah. And great, you know. Um, so. Yeah, they were absolutely recruiting players. They actually, I, I want to shout out the Canadians in the league. There were a lot of us. Yeah. A lot of us. We are represented by one person in the movie and one person in the show. <laughs> um, Jess McCready is the Canadian in the show, and she is played by Kelly McCormack. And I looked it up, and Kelly is Canadian. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> um, I was very excited to find out that the Canadian was being played by an actual Canadian. I have yet to of confirm course. that for the film. Um, I hope so for the film. I don't know. But there there was pretty heavy recruiting up in Canada, and it centered in Saskatchewan because apparently Wrigley had some connections there. Interesting. Yeah. Also, you know, if people do need to travel from other provinces, Saskatchewan is relatively central. So for the Americans, yeah. it's the skinny one in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Like, if they're probably recruiting from, like, Ontario and B.C. in. Could be, yeah. That's decent travel like that. You can do that on a train. Yeah. You can. I don't know how many Quebecois, if any women there were. I don't know how many came from down east. Yeah. Also, if you're way down east, if they're like recruiting in Massachusetts or Maine or something, it'd be way faster for you to go there. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like from, from Ontario through the prairies out west, Saskatchewan is pretty central. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As it goes. Yeah, I mean, you can drive for three days and not get out of Ontario. But once you're out of Ontario, it's not that much farther to cross Manitoba and be in Saskatchewan. Well, depending on how good a driver you are, you can drive for three days and not get out of Delaware. 
That's true. But uh, a running joke I often see between like Europe and Canada is, you know, like in the UK, they're like, oh, I drove 45 minutes and now I'm having lunch in France. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, it's like I drove for three days and I'm still in the same province. Yep. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. I have been driving for three days and I'm only in Sudbury. Well, we've been podcasting for three days. Um, oh God! Is, is there? I have a couple of extra things I want to talk about before we start to circle yeah, yeah, for make our your landing. Final points. Okay. Yeah. Um, the I didn't. I wanted to make sure that we didn't uh, forget to talk about Clance. Oh, Clance! Because I loved She's having. Great. Let's let's be honest. A nerd in the mix. She's an artist. She's a, a comic, comic book, book reader. That was yeah. so cool. Um, I made sure to uh, watch some videos so that I could pretty closely say Bemisola Ikumelo because it's such a Thank beautiful you. name. I have not known how to say her name. I was not sure if it would be the G or the B that was silent. I, I just hit YouTube and scrolled until I found a clip of her saying her own name. She is British, so she's saying her Bemisola? name. Bemisola? Bemisola. Mm-hmm. Ikumelo. That's lovely. It's great. Um, Ikumelo. Yeah, Ikumelo was fairly intuitive. Yeah. It was the Bemisola, because I thought one of those letters has got to be silent, and I don't know which yeah. one. Is it? And <laughs> if it's not the G, is the G harder soft? Exactly. Um, Bemisola. But I, I loved Clance and Max's friendship, and like that was very much one of the big like heart of the show relationships, and mm-hmm. their sisterhood, and the way that gets challenged by Max, sort of dif- dis- discovering things about herself and mm-hmm. changing the way she feels about things, and. It's it's hard when you have very close relationships and feeling like you need to hide things. Mm-hmm. And the, the moment when um, Max is talking about, well, the couple of scenes where Max is talking about Bert and Clance's reaction to that person and their presentation. And like, I'm really excited to see where that might go in the future based on who this Max, who, who Max is going to become. Yeah. I, I also found they were a little bit the Madonna and Rosie of this situation. A little bit, yeah. Situation. yeah. But I would say in a, um, in a good way. Oh, it, that was not an mm-hmm. insult. I love the Madonna and Rosie in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they're sort of, they're the kind of the twosome. Yes. That is um, not quite the the main twosome. But they, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they have a few bits of sort of comic relief. Yeah. Um, or like that that incredibly stressful day they have where they're driving all around trying to get yes. everything ready. <laughs> Gotta get those crabs. Yes. And then they get there and it's not crab. Yep. And it's you know shrimp or whatever. And by the end of it all, like her her Clance's hair is all messed up and she doesn't have the dress she wanted. Yeah. She, you know, I just but that whole sequence of them like running errands together is wonder. Yeah. Um, I would um, say, generally speaking, running errands is an underrated friend activity or even date activity. Just for for this is my PSA for the episode. <laughs> yes, I found out that that there are places where this is common and there are places where it's not. Interesting. I would say, in in my experience in Canada, it's been relatively common. Like I've definitely had days where, like, if the only time that my friend and I can get together is when one or both of us need to run a bunch of errands, yeah. like come along with me on my errands is a thing that I have both done and asked someone else if they wanted to do. Yeah. 
And it's kind of fun. It's like, all right, so we're going to go to Home Depot and we're going to go to Ikea and we're going to drop this off at the dry cleaners. And we're, but all the time we're going to hang out and chat. And like the scenery is always Delightful. changing. So you always have new stuff to yeah. talk about. You encounter yeah. people. So you have things to react mm-hmm. to. But you're not just sitting at a restaurant. So you don't have to worry about like who's yeah, paying for whatever. You coffee or you pick up lunch. Exactly. You... And it's. I don't know if it would be a good first or second no, date. No, absolutely. Like, to me, mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, someone you've been dating for a while. Yeah. Yes. A new relationship, weird. Yes. But in a friend relationship, completely normal and practical. Uh-huh. And I do not understand the people who are thrown by it. Yeah. Errands and um, also grocery shopping can be a fun, again, if you're a couple months into a, sure, yeah. a relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, I guess that's I my PSA. Would fold that into errands. Yeah. But yeah, more people should do that. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're having trouble finding time to socialize, consider. Mm-hmm. Involving your friends and your errands. Absolutely. So you can be Max and Clance. <laughs> yes. Well, you can do both people's errands at the same time. Exactly. You know, it doesn't have to be one person's set of errands. Mm-hmm. Like, you, there's got to be a way to work this out. Or this week we do your errands and next week we do my errands. You know, there's a way to make this happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, just in, in general, like, all of Max's relationships are very deep and very fraught but Mm -hmm. all just like tremendously compelling and like i don't know that i've ever ever identified with someone more uncomfortably than when she Mm. tries out finally for her company team and absolutely eats it and that feeling of like i am confident that i'm good at this but i now am forced to acknowledge that i'm untested Yes, and that in this particular situation, I have biffed it. And, and but not just that, (laughs) but like, did I have a bad day, or am I actually performing up to my potential? Is this? Am I doing the best I can do? Right. And I thought I was good at this, and perhaps I is it possible that I have built my life upon you know the the shifting sands? Like Mm, that that definitely hurt my feelings a little bit. I mean, not in like the show that's attacking me, but except for the way we talk on Twitter of like, I feel attacked. Yes. yeah. I promise the show is not personally attacking you. (laughs) As far as you know. Um, But yeah, like Adam's performance is just so strong. And I I happen to not know her from anything except this role. And I think that's always more immersive for me personally to like, you know, when you have a lead or a. Yes. a split lead like this where you just this is the one thing you know them from so you are it, I am with them more than I might be for say Abby who I've seen in a bunch of other stuff yeah I I was not aware of her before either and I'm just grabbing her IMDB right now mm-hmm. and uh, yeah can confirm I don't think I've seen any of her other work yeah. uh, her oldest credit is uh, 2013 yeah she's done some stuff she's but... She's done a little stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking again is, and I haven't seen it. This would appear to be her first big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it looks like she's done uh, some movies that I just haven't heard of, and that's not a judgment on the movies. That's just me being unaware of them. Yeah. Um, it's possible that these were movies that were, you know, played festivals or that oh, only mm-hmm. showed in the States. Or, sure. I mean, there's a million reasons why I wouldn't direct to DVD. With them. <laughs> Possibly. Well, at least one of them says TV movie right beside yeah. it. Sometimes that's actually secretly a pilot. Yeah, that happens a lot. That in. So yeah. uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's but pretty I, much stuff I haven't seen, um, which again, not a judgment on the content, a judgment on my viewing habits. Yeah. <laughs> so I was unfamiliar with her, but that, yeah, <laughs> it allowed me to immediately accept her as Max mm-hmm. and not have any other um, 
ideas going in. But I, I just, I really appreciated the depth of her characterization where she is so confident about some things and so unconfident about other things and how like yeah. some of those aspects of her personal identity sort of cross where she becomes more confident yeah. or less. And it, mm-hmm. it just is one of the best pieces of writing for a, you know, a so far eight episode arc um, mm-hmm. that I think I've seen. And uh, I'm glad the show took us in this direction you know they, they just ha- i don't think you could tell a story like this before i don't know five years ago like it just the idea that i mean this is a major thing this is an amazon prime show yeah I mean, you know it's arguably like a son and nbc but nbc isn't nbc anymore you know like the networks don't have a stranglehold on popularity or quality that they supposedly once did like this is a yeah. big thing and i think it's a big deal to um branch out and tell different people's stories because folks like this were always around yeah i don't know if this would work on network yeah maybe i'm not terribly familiar with uh, nbc's lineup these days i mean they have done i don't know why i picked that over cbs or abc it just was the first thing that came to well, mind because we were talking about the news would, earlier it would for sure not run on cbs <laughs> um that is the old white people network it might run on nbc nbc gave us this is us very true <laughs> so maybe um but i think uh i don't know i don't love the idea of this show with commercial breaks well yeah i mean it definitely isn't built for it which it was one of the fascinating things about streaming something like all at once is when you don't have the cadence of uh, 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 yeah we don't we don't have to do that anymore we don't have to build it around stupid act structure nice yeah because well, I mean, I think I definitely think there's still something to be said for act. Oh, no, no. I like, meant that definitely commercials create an act structure, not the three act structure, but the like yeah, five act commercial break one. structure. Yes. Well, even that you can do five act structure without commercials. Yes. Um, but in fact, that's the original way that plays were written. Hello, Shakespeare. Um, Is he listening? <laughs> if not the original, but it was, it was very common. Uh, five act structure way predates television. <laughs> but um <laughs> What I mean is this feels like an eight-hour movie yeah. or like a series of eight little Chapterized. movies. Chapterized, yeah. Yes. And so if it if it has breaks anywhere, it's between those episodes. Mm-hmm. It's about once an hour. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think it would have the same – I don't think watching it would feel the same on network. Agree. Um, and I don't – it's not built for network, and I think it would have to be built differently for network. And I think it would not be able to do some of the stuff it's doing yeah. on network. Um, I don't think we would have the range of queer representation that we have on network. I, yeah, I can't imagine, I don't think unfortunately. Is quite ready for that, yeah. it would seem. So, yeah, <laughs> for, for all that Amazon is an evil empire, um, sometimes it gives us good content, yeah. and this is one of those times. What's well, nice when you have all the money, because then you don't have to worry about taking risks, and that's in quotes, taking risks, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people would see a show like this, or half of a show like this, as being very risky, again, in quotes. Yes, because the people who make those decisions mm-hmm. do not live in the real world. Yeah, where where <laughs> people like this live. <laughs> the response to this show um, has been incredible. I mean, I know I'm only seeing the <laughs> response of the people who enjoyed yeah. it. But um, I have very much enjoyed, you know, following Will Graham on Twitter. Abby's not on there. Um, and a few other people who worked on the show. And just seeing what uh, other fans of it think and how they've related to it and what it's meant to yeah, them absolutely. and like the response is is hugely positive i am sure there are some assholes out there 
saying negative things, I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want my attention drawn to it. I don't want to know about it. Uh, I think because... it did get review bombed a little bit, but I'm, I can't find confirmation of that. So um, take it, it with did. a grain of salt. It did. Yeah. And then it got uh, reverse review bombed by fans. On IMDb, it's currently got a 7.4, which is real high for IMDb. Yeah, and it's um, on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it, the critics gave it. I've got 90 a ninety-four percent average rating of seven point seven. And the fan 7. is like, oh, okay. The the last time I looked, the fan thing was like eighty point eighty-three. Metacritic is seventy out of a hundred, which again, these are all really high because nothing gets like the Metacritic and some of these other ones. Like yeah. it doesn't take much to bring your average down. So I feel like yes. seventy is an A. <laughs> Um, but they they had the snapshot I saw had eighty three yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes and what had oh, it says eighty three critics yeah oh okay there have been some negative reviews mm-hmm. and then the fans stepped up and did like people who'd actually seen the show went and did positive reviews yeah. because yeah we don't need another Ghostbusters situation well I will say another um, quick PSA that I wasn't planning on if you see a show that's got a lot of one star reviews that hasn't been released yet a movie or a show that hasn't come out yet and has a ton of one star reviews that's what review bombing looks like people go and post yes. negative shit just, just based on the idea of it ask yourself how these people are reviewing a show they haven't mm-hmm. seen <laughs> and and behave accordingly yeah, exactly. I guess yeah, and I would have, I mean, no matter what came out about this show, I would have given it a chance. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, I would have at least watched the first episode, possibly with trepidation. <laughs> um, but I would have watched it because, yeah, I see that stuff happen all the time. Um, particularly for anything that centers women, particularly for anything that centers BIPOC people, yeah. uh, anything that centers queer people, like the uh, the white boys get in there and try to ruin it before we've even gotten to see it and i know that so i put absolutely no stock in that and i would always have given this a shot yeah um i felt pretty good about it going in and i was uh if anything it was better than i expected yeah i expected it to be good and i was overwhelmed by how good it was i i sat Um, on it for a while because i knew we were going to do this and i didn't want to get into mm -hmm. it until closer to recording time um but i yeah there was no reason I had no other reason to do it other than my recording schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was never going to not watch yeah. it. <laughs> I was always going to at least give it a chance. Um, and I'm I'm not surprised that it's good. I don't even, I feel weird saying that I'm surprised that it is as good as it is. But I guess I just, I didn't, yeah. I didn't go in knowing how much representation there would be. And well, so I yeah. guess that was the pleasant surprise. And I mean, was I didn't know how gay the show was. <laughs> I didn't know how black the show was. Yeah. I did. And all of that was like, oh, oh, they did all of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is really good. Yeah. Like it would have been good anyway, but this is better. Like this is, they took everything that was great about the movie, transposed that into a show, and then put in all the good stuff the movie couldn't do. And I don't know, stirred it up and microwaved it or whatever and put it on Amazon and it's perfect. Yeah, that's, I think, a a very good, concise sort of description of like they took the good stuff, they added everything that was missing and here we go. Yeah, Yeah. they added more good stuff and then they gave it to us. I was like, oh, you made it. I don't know how you did it, but you made a League of Their Own better somehow. Yeah, Yeah, it's really (laughs) tremendous. Um, Yeah. uh, Is there any other particular things that you wanted to mention as we try to wrap up? I don't think so. Just uh, I really, really need season two to happen. Yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. 
yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I need to see what happens to uh, Max and Esther. Yeah, I would like to actually get to watch Max really play some baseball. Yeah. We haven't had that yet. I want to see what goes on with the Peaches next. Um, I want to see if Carson and Greta further develop <laughs> their relationship. I have many questions that I would like answered about what will happen with all of these people. Yeah. Also, you know, uh, nothing to say that we won't meet some new characters. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity because both the movie and the show focus on the Rockford Peaches. Yeah. Even in the first season, there were four teams. There is no reason that we can't get to know a little more about the Blue Sox, the Bells, and the Comets. Um, like, there's just, there's a world of stories to be told. Well, and like you mentioned, they, in real life, did a lot of trading of the players. So it would be an easy mm -hmm. way for us to, as an audience, access those other teams is to, like, have mm -hmm. our, our girls that we know and love get split up a little bit and then, you know, follow them to their new teams and meet new characters. Yeah, and there's also just an option to cast some extraordinary people on those other teams mm -hmm. and yeah. you know, so season one focuses on the peaches does season two need to focus on the peaches that's as much fair. as i love the yeah. peaches season two maybe focuses on south bend we've already gotten in there with joe yeah. or maybe we meet the bells maybe we meet the comets like there are a million ways to go i mean practically speaking yeah we'll probably keep focusing on the peaches because because tv <laughs> yeah yes um but i just i think there's more room and more space to be explored so. okay yeah. Well, my very last point is it was great to see Patrick J. Adams on my screen again. Uh, Canadian actor plays uh, Carson's husband. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not overly familiar with That's that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but thank you for pointing out the Canadian. I'm a fan and of. Zach. Yep. <laughs> Always nice. Always nice to see a Canadian. Um, probably most people recognize him from Suits, which is a, a show that he did for quite some time alongside Meghan Markle, who people may have heard of. They may have. Do you know, for a long time, until she started dating Prince Harry, <laughs> I thought maybe she was Canadian. Sure. Because she was on Suits. Mm -hmm. But not only that, and Suits, for anyone who doesn't know, shot in Toronto, and the cast was largely Canadian. Yep. Um, but also she was the spokeswoman for a while for Reitman's, which is a Canadian clothing brand. Oh, interesting, brand. yeah. One of the few that makes uh, work clothes for those of us who fall into the petite category. <laughs> um, so it's a place that I shop because it is one of the places that I can shop and get clothing that fits me and is appropriate for work. Uh, and yeah, Megan was their spokesperson for quite a yeah. while. And between that and her being on Suits, before I really knew anything about her and before she was at least publicly dating Prince Harry... <laughs> I was just kind of under the impression that she was Canadian. Well, I, I knew her from Fringe, which is a vastly underrated show that everyone should check out. But uh, she did a couple episodes of that. Um, okay, I was going to say, I don't remember her being on Fringe. She was going to be... She wasn't a regular. In season, I'm pretty sure it was season two, although I might be mistaken, it might have been three. But she was going to be a new series regular, and then they changed the uh, plot, the story direction. And so I think, ironically, that is what let her be available to be on suits if i'm remembering the timeline right. correctly um right so sorry not sorry megan because like i'm sorry sure. that happened, but also you you ended up on a show so you're well fine. and but also like <laughs> it she wouldn't have been in toronto filming which means she probably wouldn't have met harry 
so, so weird to think to be, that like did they meet in toronto i think I it was i think it was because she was in town <laughs> and so was he but anyway i there's there's okay. stuff that I, we could talk about the royals forever and what we wish we knew and what we wish we didn't know but i don't wish i knew any of it <laughs> I don't know much about it. I thought I did watch their wedding and I thought it was lovely and the most fun royal wedding I've ever witnessed. But in terms of like how they got together, I freely admit I know All nothing right. about well, it. We're off the rails. So it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> last last thoughts on A League of Their Own. Go. Uh, you should watch it and then you should campaign for season two. Um, and also you should watch the movie. It's a great movie. It's good stuff. It's very good stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't really have anything. Like I said, it's in it's in my lifetime top five films that like if if you said we're dropping you on a desert on a desert island <laughs> with and your you laptop. Can only take five films. <laughs> you can only have no with like here's a here's a DVD player <laughs> and some DVDs and a screen. You can take five movies. Uh this would be in that five. Well, stay tuned. Maybe we'll hear the the other four on a future episode. <laughs> Maybe. okay so it's time for the time of the show where we talk about our recommendations and i have a sneaking suspicion that i'm the only one with a recommendation (laughs) could that be due to a conversation we had off i will never tell um uh yeah as i was saying to chris i uh really haven't watched anything new lately i just haven't had the opportunity I've been uh, spending a lot of my time either at work or at the roller rink, frankly, <laughs> and I've not watched anything. So I would like to recommend that you all try roller skating. Chris, what are your recommendations? <laughs> well, I can't in good conscience recommend that. So I have a different I certainly can. Put some wheels on your feet. It's fun. <laughs> and then check out Stevie's Instagram for pictures of her wildly colored skates. <laughs> They're not wild. They're pretty wild. <laughs> um the only thing I watched that I feel very um, enthusiastic about recommending, not that I watched a bunch of crap, but anyway, um, the Weird Al movie just came great. out. How dare you? What are we going to do? Record again? <laughs> um, Weird, no. the Al Yankovic story. It is a tremendous, very real biopic about the very real life of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> it is not at all <laughs> fictionalized. <laughs> It is full of tremendous performances by a lot of people that if you know and like the things we know and like, you'll recognize the Paul of Tompkins cameo, the Conan O'Brien cameo, <laughs> the lots of other people playing historical figures from the era of Weird Al's ascendancy in the 1980s. Um, mm-hmm. Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna. Nice. Oh my gosh, is she great. Um, she is simultaneously like... I mean, okay, a spectacular actor in any part, but she is both over the top and understated, and I don't know how she's doing it. Hmm. It's I I will have to check this great. out. I've seen photos of her in costume, but I've not seen it. It is photos. you can sign up for Roku in the states, anyways, for free. I don't know what the Canadian Roku uh, treaty situation is. No, I but <laughs> it is it is available to all that I'm aware of. Um, Daniel Radcliffe is great in the version of Weird Al that he is playing. Weird Al has multiple cameos as a particular character, not multiple characters. Um, is he playing his own dad? No, sadly, he's playing a Damn record it. executive. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. a pitch perfect sort of nonsense role that is great mm-hmm. for a Weird Al cameo because he's not a you know trained actor per se. Like you just right. need a guy in this role. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, he isn't driving that scene. So it's it's good for him to play something like that, especially because this movie is just drop dead ridiculous. And I really love the shit out of it. And I can't wait till I have time to watch it again. Um, it goes absolutely off the rails in the third act. And <laughs> I mean, it, it's out there. It's spoilable. So please, you know, just go ahead and give it a shot. It's very short. It runs real fast. It's so good. How long is it when you say? It's well, I, and then it's not like two and a half hours, you know, the way biopics oh, tend okay. to go. Like 90 minutes? A hundred thereabouts. Let's okay. see. Reasonable. Um, I should have looked this up, but I wasn't expecting to. I, I just assumed you sort of knew because you had commented that it was short. I was not trying to make you do extra work. <laughs> How dare you? 108 minutes. Oh, so, okay. yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's not 82 minutes. It's a real movie. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's it's great, and it's got all of the tropes of your music biopic. Julianne Nicholson is his mom. She's a tremendous actress. Um, Toby yeah. Huss, I think, is the actor who plays his dad. Um, but it, it reminded me the most of um, Dewey Cox, the Walk Hard movie that okay. John C. Reilly yeah. did. Never saw it. But it is it, it is yeah. that is the penultimate music biopic satire, and this has satirical elements, but its full existence is not a satire. It is both a real movie and a fake movie. The way that like the, Hot Fuzz or Galaxy Quest are. What is the ultimate music movie satire? Walk then? Hard. You said it was the penultimate. Oh, did I? Well, then I misspoke because I yes. didn't mean it that way. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm talking. An ultimate would mean the one before the ultimate, and I was trying to figure out. No, your confusion. You were going to tell us what the ultimate was. Fully warranted. Okay. (laughs) I thought maybe we're all supposed to know. Nope. What what that probably (laughs) is is a holdover from when I was young and didn't realize what the word penultimate meant, and thought. I mean, this is a classic like lonely reading kid, you know, Jackie Mm -hmm. Cajun spooky reading girl sort of thing where you (laughs) you grow up reading more books than people you've talked to and so you pronounce things yes. wrong like i thought superfluous was superfluous you know like everybody oh, yeah. has a couple of those when yes, you read a lot of happens. books when you're yeah, little all the time it's usually a sign of someone who reads exactly a so yeah. yes um yes and penultimate does sometimes get misused. it just i always um, thought it meant super ultimate like penultimate it's the super I, best i think a lot of people yep. do yeah i think a lot of people do. and i think that yeah. even though i'm approaching 40 the number of years that i knew that word by its incorrect definition still outweighs the number of years i've known it as its correct mm-hmm. definition so yeah here we are you'll get there <laughs> <laughs> what why don't why don't we transition to plugs what would you like to tell the kids about oh uh well the the kids should not be listening to The kids to this. in radio land. <laughs> uh, my plugs have not really changed. Um, you can find out everything you ever wanted to know and more, probably, at steviejackson.ca. <laughs> Sorry, I just enjoyed um, the pitching. If it hasn't died yet, I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> Hooray. And still on Instagram, at TVKJ. We're all waiting to see what happens with Twitter. If, if anyone's listening who is not a tweeter, uh, you may not know that e- Elon Musk is our new or- overlord. I don't know why that was so hard Over-twerp. to say. He's, he's our new overlord. He owns Twitter now, and it is all going very badly. And uh, I don't know if Twitter is going to implode. My hope is that Elon Musk will implode, sell Twitter... <laughs> To Dolly Parton, or possibly to Amy Schneider of Jeopardy fame, who has offered to buy it if she wins enough on Jeopardy. I 
don't know if she was serious, but please let Amy buy Twitter. Um, and then it will be a nicer place for us all. Anyway, you can find me there and on Instagram at StevieKJ as per usual. Uh, you can also go to honestlycharlotte.com to watch my show. It also streams on Fearless. Um, it's called Honestly Charlotte. <laughs> please enjoy that. Chris, what would you like to plug? Uh, I don't have anything. I'm getting tired and punchy. I'm quite sorry. yet. Yeah, we are past <laughs> our heart out by like an hour and a half. Um, oh, that's okay. Uh, Chris, Chris M. Royce on Twitter and Instagram. The last thing I'm, last time I posted something on Instagram was before the <laughs> pandemic. So, oh whatever. my god. <laughs> you occasionally like stuff on there. Though. I do. I'm always surprised, but occasionally you come up on. Like, you know, Chris liked your photo. I'm like, he's on here? I I sometimes check in to see the little, whatever they call them, the stories, because oh, yeah. those go away. But the main feed mm-hmm. is basically unusable, because it's like 50% ads by volume. You can fuck yeah. all the way off with that. I find the stories, the stories are mostly unusable as well. There's just so many of them. Like, I don't need to see the little videos by every single person or entity that I follow on Instagram. Yeah. But there's no way to prioritize or, them. Or, like, have a list like, or whatever, which is what I do on Twitter. Yeah, I have, like, my top 40. Yeah, I would prefer to be like, I'd like you to prioritize these people's stories and posts, but I can't do yeah. that. So, um, anyway. Social media continues to be a delight. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at BudsWOBoards. <laughs> on our website buddieswithoutborders.tumblr.com you'll find show notes and more thanks for listening thanks for staying subscribed and telling your friends and anemones well, mm-hmm. and resubscribing if you've done that for some reason sure. <laughs> double subscribing is also allowed download on all of your devices get a hold please of other break. people's devices and download on those Yes, please artificially inflate our numbers. Hey, you know what? It all shows up the same on the graphs. I don't know. Listen, we appreciate all 12 of you. (laughs) And we'll talk at you in the future. (laughs) 